Hello, and welcome to a brand new episode of Third Degree Burn. I, I am talking to you from the hellscape that is 2013, the future. And my future self has come back in time to introduce my fellow time travelers, Brian Hughes. That's me. <laughs> Kirk Greenfield. I'm here. Dave Thompson. Hello, darling. <laughs> and last but certainly not least, John Hyde. All here, ready to go. All right. We've come back in time to tell you uh, of a story uh, of Kitty Pride. A lovely lady. A lovely lady. And I was trying to think of that. I couldn't I couldn't pull that off. So I, that's, the, that's the long, drawing dramatic pause. Uh, anyway, uh, I think it's the first time anybody's compared the X Men to the Brady Bunch. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, anyway, we I'll are. Uh, this is raising three mutants of her own. <laughs> <laughs> we are covering. Uh, I guess you call it part two. It's X Men one forty two. It's part two of Days of Future Past. It's coverage of the great event, Days of Future Past. It is it is an event unlike any other because while it's massive, while it's huge, while it's so cool and amazing, it's only two issues. Well, that's it. It's not it's not really I mean it's a two two little dense issues that have grown into become Mythic. I mean, it's the tendrils of this story spread outwards and everywhere. Uh but we're going to get down to the nitty gritty on this, and uh, I think Brian is going to give us a little uh, synopsis on uh, the story. Yes, yes. But before I do that, I got to ask: Has anybody gotten any like cool comic book news lately? Uh, uh, you know, hoping like David might have something well, since he is uh, a retailer of well, sorts. The big thing that for me was. Uh couple things so fantastic four life story came out this week mm -hmm. yeah which we touched on before you know so we're gonna have a five issue series i think it's five issues following you know the fantastic four and they basically age in real time oh. and if you oh, remember like they the, did with the spider-man yeah exactly so life, story, read yeah. life story which was excellent um they're doing the same thing with fantastic four that just kicked off this week uh the other thing was the long-awaited uh Aliens Omnibus finally came out. Um, collect, and this is the first I think of two or three. So if you're like me, and you know you've found occasional Aliens comics here and there, they are kind of hard to collect, especially the the late '80s and early '90s is that stuff. The Dark Horse stuff. Yeah, the yes. Hayden stuff. Yep. So I'm confused with the new stuff that's out because, like, there's apparently for each issue is multiple variant covers yeah uh, and they're all plenty plentiful too because there's like just the black cover and there's a couple a couple of others out there but i can't i'm like okay i want to get the story i don't just want the first issue and you know it's like well where's the rest of it is it all out or is it are, are we still waiting for the rest of the issues to come out do you know yeah well yeah it just launched um a month ago Two months ago, because I just got Alien number three, um, and it's a great story so far. See, um, I haven't found two or three, I, and I've been hit, in the last week, I've hit like 
four or five different of the local comic book shops. And they were out of had, stock? Well, they had issue one in the, the multiple covers, but I oh, never well, saw two or three. And, and yeah, and I went to Pastimes, I went to Collected, I went to Sci-Fi Factory, um, and I actually went to two at, uh, of the Collected stores, uh, which one of them's within walking distance. But uh, still, I mean, you know, I, I couldn't find it. I did find... Uh, you know, to add to my Deathlock collection, the second and third appearances of Deathlock. Nice. Yeah, and I got those actually for, for a good price. I, I've been I've been doing a little bit more comic buying lately than I had in a long time. And you know, we did that thing a couple months ago, I guess in in cocktails and comics, where David provided us uh, a number of more modern books for us to read, and. Um, I think there was one good diamond interrupt there, but the rest was like total crap, at least to me. <laughs> Just wow. I thought you guys liked the, uh, the con Trek story. I, I like the contract story. Yeah. And then you didn't, you didn't like D and D or uh, what was it? Was it die? Which was like, like a, like uh, a dungeon and dragons inspired comic. You know, it, it's so unmemorable at this point that uh, I guess that's probably not a good thing. Oh, well, David, guess you can cross him off your list for future shipments. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, but, but, I, but, I, but I actually went and I bought um, recent issues of Spider-Man, uh, Avengers, uh, Fantastic Four, you know, just to see. And mm-hmm. I've, I've been hitting up Ollie's, which is a discount uh, yeah. store, kind of like Big Lots all over the place. And they, every week, are getting different trades and hardcovers. I, I, I wish there was an Ollie's here. Yeah, because right. like for five bucks, you can get, you know, the, the latest, uh, like one of the Hickman uh, Fantastic Four trades uh, amongst amongst so many other really cool books. And, you know, they had the, the DC Universe by John Byrne there for ten dollars. Oh, wow. that shocked me. Yeah. But, you know, again, it's like looking back at it, the, the, the printing, the coloring and everything on that was actually substandard compared to all the nice omnibuses that are coming out. So I think that, you know, it just wasn't handled very well. And so therefore the sales on it weren't that great. At least not that I'm aware of. I bought one, you know, when it first came out. I think yeah. I did I buy that from you, Dave? I, I don't know. I may have may have or may have gotten that from Amazon. Well, I'm gonna go back to the FF Life story because I think you said the first issue came out, David. Is a pre orders up to number three? Yes. Because I think I ordered uh and I didn't order from you, I'm sorry. I ordered from uh, discount but i ordered one but i think i missed two and i think i ordered three um so i'm at the if you get some extra twos i'll i can pick i'll uh i will purchase one from you maybe i'll throw it in the next goodie bag that I've won't also, be going to brian right oh also gosh. heard of something um the um uh replicants uh origin story from blade runner origins I Are saw those out there. I, I saw those out there, but I didn't pick them up. I, I picked up like five, six books, you know, because they're just five dollars or more a mm-hmm. book is mm-hmm. is just too much to ask. I feel a friend of mine had uh, mentioned what he had picked up recently, and I asked him what that was, and that sounded intriguing because it's the the backstory of the replicants. How did they get to a situation where we pick them up in the movie? I guess so. I've not seen anything of it, but I just. I heard the title mentioned. Well, I think that for our next cocktails and comics, that you know we should all pick up something recent, you know, mm. off the stands. 
mm-hmm. and then we can comment. Well, we, we each can comment on one book that we picked up. Does that sound like a cool idea? Yeah. Sure. As long as, as, long as right. we're not too much like Back to the Bins. We're going <laughs> to fill that Back to the Bins gap now that Paul's not yeah. releasing his show. Well, I do seems- have one downer that, to, that um, should be mentioned. What's that? Um, not to bring us down, but uh, the passing of David Anthony. Uh, oh, yeah. Craft. Uh, yeah. And boy, it really has shocked the uh, the internet. There's been a lot of tributes that I've seen on Facebook uh, posted to him. Uh, yeah, and he, he of course passed away from from COVID. Yeah, quite and, suddenly, from what yeah, I hear. Yeah. yeah. And, Nor- and Norman uh, Lloyd died, I think, a week ago, two weeks ago. I'm not familiar with him. He died at 106. He is. Wow. <laughs> wow. He was. Uh, his only connection to this show would be that he was on. You're t- this... Saying he was taken too soon. <laughs> well, I'm sure in sorry. his mind he was. That's a, that's a bad taste. <laughs> uh, I sorry personally, I don't want to live to be that old. That's uh, just that's well. Apparently, he was he was very active in. You know, he was very he was still acting up until maybe a couple years ago. But he was on the Next Gen season six episode, The Chase. He played Picard's mentor. Oh, okay. He was also in St. Elsewhere. He played a doctor, but he's been on a ton of things. I mean, he goes back to where he was working with uh, very Orson prolific, yeah. huge bag of win there. That's yeah. uh, that's <laughs> in uh, yeah, 106. You know, you're you're either one of those that that just keeps going until that moment where your body just you know gives out, or you're one that that just kind of fades away. What I found often though is that whenever they talk to these people that live 101, 106, 112 years. They're the people that actually drank, you know, at least a shot of whiskey and smoked yep. a pack of cigarettes a day. <laughs> yeah, a ton of bacon. Yeah, bacon. bacon seems to be a commonality. <laughs> I'm just, serious. Come on. Yeah. Like, well, that's three slices of bacon is supposed to be lethal to me. Well, and, that's, you know, that's, like, the, that's the preservation theory, right? Put enough alcohol and preservatives in your body and you, you live forever. Yeah. Yeah. Or in my case, caffeine. There we go. <laughs> and there it is. Stop. There it is. That's the official start of the show. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now the show can begin. I feel like Krusty the Clown in the Simpsons. Oh, yeah, that's the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Days of Future Past, the, the second chapter. Well, be- before we go, hey, is uh, everyone, we-, we won't talk about it yet, but everyone caught up on their Elts one? Oh, yes. I'm oh, not. I need to, I need to do that. Yeah. I'm oh. it's, uh, it's definitely been an incredible roller coaster ride uh, in these last few weeks. And you just don't know what's going to happen. Though I've been seeing on the web a bit of uh, blowback on Pablo. And uh, what's the girl's name? Is it Kelly? Ashley. Ashley, yeah. Yeah, uh, there's you know, a lot they, of hate for those two characters. And I don't, I don't but, think it's warranted. Well, I mean, the, the comment that was out there, not just about them, but also um, the Evans boy, was that, you know, their powers are all so similar. And I mean, he even takes advantage of the fact that Ashley and 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 his and and Pablo's powers are so similar that Pablo took took over her powers, and eventually Professor X does it too. And you know, they're just saying, you know, it's like it, it's something. You know, Burns got something in mind, and at the end of it, I'm sure we'll we'll you know get some enlightenment on what he's doing here. Maybe we'll get a a data dump during this week, which is the last week of the book, uh, for, for this of the issue. issue. Yeah, of this issue. Now. Along those lines, uh, you know, of course, Byrne has been talking about, you know, things that he may be interested in doing aside from 
uh, you know, the X-Men elsewhere. And he had talked mm. about doing, taking the commissions that he'd done before and creating the stories that went around them to yeah. explain why you had that image. But uh, now he had made a comment that he would really like to do something that he'd pitched a while back. And there's an image out there of it's a recreation of the Zemo Captain America Bucky image with, you know, Bucky strapped to the rocket, you know, before his death. And instead it's Superman strapped to the rocket and Captain, I think Captain America and Bucky in the background. He wants to do a JSA Avengers generations type story. Uh, invaders, I think. Yeah. Yeah. JSA invaders. Did, didn't I say that? No, you said Avengers, but no. Oh, Invaders, excuse and me. Yeah, JSA I would invaders. love that story because I love the Invaders. So this would be, and it, I think the JSA Invaders team up would have been so cool, especially as a treasury size. But this week, something else came up, and that uh, he has been talking with IDW about more Star Trek work, and he hasn't said anything more on that. Is it going to be more of the of the Fimetti, or is it going to be something like Crew? Um, he, he hasn't, he hasn't said, but he's uh, been in conversations with them about that. So he seems to be upping his, <clears throat> I don't know if he's upping his productivity, but, uh, adding some variety to the, uh, to the mix so that we're going to be seeing some other things from him, uh, sometime in, uh, in the future. I don't know near future, but in the future, I'd like to see him go back to the photo novels. Oh yeah. I love those. I think those take an awful lot of time and work, um, unless he's already got all the elements uh, stored someplace. He I would think he's that got, would pre he's preclude got, his work on Elsewhen. Well, he said he has a lot of the. Uh, well, what makes it easy for him, he says, is he has like a photographic memory of every mm -hmm. episode. So if he <laughs> if he's while well, he's composing his story, he knows I need a shot of Kirk doing this. He knows exactly what episode and where to go to get it. And I guess wow. he's got them all digitized, and he'll just grab it. Now, some of this may be a little, you know, hyperbolic, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah. But and then I'm sure a lot of the the stuff that he's built in Photoshop, the 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 3D construct constructs and things, and he's probably got a lot of those elements. And if you're, you know, he's changing a lot of times. He's changing uniform colors, and he's swapping heads on bodies. Uh, that's probably a lot of those are built in as effects already. You know, he has to do is grab it from his library and apply it. So it may not take as long. Now is the day when he was first starting out. Mm. Remember, we looked at that sales data for those books, and you were just complaining about, you know, like a floppy comic. You know, pretty much the standard price now is like three ninety nine. If if they add an extra ten pages, it goes up to four ninety nine. Remember, those were eight dollar books when they came out because they were the prestige yeah. Yeah. square bound format. I don't so have I, any trouble with that, considering what they are. Compare that to but what you're getting; good. it's actually kind of cheap. Yeah, um, I, I don't disagree, but the the sales numbers weren't there, right? Right. Know, as the series went on, even they though I they I, didn't I, seem I to like print that many, though, did they? I mean, they didn't get a print run, uh, you know, comparable to any of the other books since they were in that prestige format anyway, right? No, and that's why you know, like if you check some of the really big comic shops like mycomicshop.com, you're going to have a hard time finding a lot of those issues. Um, yeah, at least I, radically are there. I had trouble getting those at my, my local shops here. And, you know, it was like, and of course, this is a few years ago. Um, and when I asked them about that, they're, they just kind of get this look of derision on their face. Like, you know, we didn't care. We didn't get it. 
Well, they'll only order what what someone has. Well, uh, most shops, I should say, will only yeah. order what people have put pre-orders in for, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, people said put me down for a copy, and then they may, you know, buy one or two shelf copies, yeah. and that's it. And some that's... stores don't even do that. You know, with that kind of book, they might say, you know what, I don't want, I don't want to take the the risk, right? Because that's four bucks out of my pocket, you know, at a fifty percent discount on average. I'm not going to do it because I, I just don't know. I don't want to be holding this book for the next five years until somebody comes to get it. Yeah. And see, it's, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, the faithful 50,000 or whatever, you know, Burns had, they weren't even aware of it for the most part, unless right. they were on his site and reading what was going on. They didn't know it was coming out. I didn't know it was coming out. I wasn't looking at his site back then. And mm-hmm. to, you know, find out after the fact, I'm like, Oh, wow. And I've wound up buying most of them digitally on Amazon and, you know, reading it on my, uh, my tablet, which is just fine. But, and I've got, I still do have a good, I probably guess about 10 or 12 issues, hard copies, but I still bought them all digitally, but they were, no, they were, they were difficult to, uh, to get a hold of. And I think it's, it's just a direct market industry in the way it's working because they don't have an advertising mechanism that's as good as other you know, other mediums. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They would put those out and I have a couple, they put, they put them out as kind of a trade where they would collect like three stories mm-hmm. and put them in like a, a big trade uh, pack. So yeah. And that, gonna... that would do good. And that would, that, you know, I mean, if they advertise that, I mean, I guess they don't have to cause trades sell pretty decent, you know, for any market, don't they? And I'm asking, uh, it, I'm asking, yeah, David, it, I'm thinking uh, more yeah, brick it, and mortar. It, yeah. Well, it depends on the material, right? So I just talked about, you know, the aliens omnibus, you know, mm-hmm. I, I bought a whole bunch of those because again, same thing. I don't, there was lateness with that one, you know, just some weird stuff going on because of, of Marvel switching from diamond to penguin random house. Um, but it, it's, it's typically it's based on the material. Um, you know, that one, because the comics are hard to get, uh, typically, you know, that's one I, uh, I personally would get extra copies of, um, you know, something like what we're talking about earlier, the Fantastic Four life story. Mm-hmm. It depends, you know, because, I mean, nowadays, most of the publishers, you know, they'll they'll trade everything. <laughs> you know, like whether the comic book is good or not, you get a trade. You know, they kind of Oprah it. Everything gets a trade. <laughs> well, uh, and, and a lot of people will, will do that. They'll wait to read the trade. They won't buy. Yeah, the they're called trade waiters. No, or... no, no, no. Kirk, no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. He he's he's, yeah, he's about to. He was about to, but you know, my, my point on that though, is that, you know, the average guy that, that, you know, doesn't go to a comic book shop, but that will go to a bookstore, Barnes and Noble or whatever have you, you know, that's, that's still out there. Um, they go to the comic book section and they've got just this gigantic selection of trades. And that's, you know, the, that's that market that, that is, you know, there's a lot of a lot of turnover and all that. I, I see that because I go to the bookstores often trying to find, you know, the unusual, the the something I'd never heard of or whatever, because I keep you know coming across that kind of thing. Uh, my wife found me a, a beautiful hardcover edition of Hard Boiled, Frank Miller, Jeff Darrow book mm. um, a while back that couldn't find or see anywhere. And, and, you know, it's like sometime, you know, I'd sit there and think about doing an online search and it was just out, you know, priced out of me or whatever. But uh, we were lucky enough to find it there. You know, it's just it's a crapshoot, I guess. But uh, it's still the business is still a lot of word of mouth. Right. And that's what I the the analogy I was I was going to be making with the aliens one is once people find out that it's out there, 
mm-hmm. they're going to go, yeah. you know, they're going to get snapped up because it's, it's good material. And that's, that's, and I'll, this is my last word, Kirk, so you don't have to cowbell us. That's part of my issue with like a Barnes and Noble, even though I have their membership, right? Cause we go there all the time for kids books. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no curation, right. In those collections. And that's one of my fears as a, as a, as a comic retailer, somebody goes in there and picks up one of those trades at full price. They go home and they read it and they go, Oh, this is crap. Why did I just waste 20 bucks on this? So, you know, that's where the direct market, I think kind of helps some of that by, you know, not having an inflated print run because the material is not that good. Um, that's true. I mean, you go to a, a, if you go to a brick and mortar comic store and if if the, the owner or the, whoever the staff is there, is into comics and not just to have a job, then they were more likely to, Hey, I recommend this, or you like that. You might like this, Well, you're not going to get right. that. Like you said, from Barnes and Noble, it's like, here's what we got. Pick out what you want. Yeah. Um, they just order, you know, they order a couple of everything. Their big hmm. thing is, and I've seen a lot of this, uh, around on some YouTube videos about how manga is just kicking, um, the butt of American comics that I guess manga oh. sales are through the roof. And, yeah. um, well, well, I've been buying manga another, from David here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that I was just going to say. In other sad news, so that we talked, I think, on the last CNC about your son reading, what is it, Berserker? Yeah. Berserk? Berserk. Um, I, it, this, I think it was this week. All of a sudden, like, every hard copy, because I hadn't even heard of it. And when Brian oh. asked me to order it for his son, I ordered, like, the first, I think, two or three hardcover volumes. Um, you know, five copies each. I'm like, oh, you know what? Let's see, you know, if, if Brian's son's into it, that's sometimes that's my barometer too. Like I talked to my nephew, right, and other, um, you know, younger kids in the family, and it's like, well, what are you interested in reading? And it's like, you know, I'm like on my little market research. So when Brian said, "Can you order this for me?" I was like, "Okay, well, I'll order some for the store as well." All of a sudden, last week it was like everything sold out. Uh, yeah, way. yeah. The the thing is, the author Kentaro Mura yep. died. Yeah. Um, and That's he fine. hasn't finished the entire series. I mean, this is, you know, the, my, my son was devastated this week uh, when he heard about this because, you know, he's like, he's, you know, he's enjoying this and he goes, so we're not going to get the finished story. I don't, I don't know how far he's gotten into it, but uh, I, what I mean is I don't know how far the author had gotten into his next book or last book. The guy was 54, um, you know, and so he, he probably figured he had years to go ahead and finish all this. And, and how many volumes are there out there now? It's like six. Yeah. Well, the, of the deluxe hardcovers. Yeah. There's. Yeah. Cause I definitely am going to want to get him the rest of those there. I just got to, you know, put aside the money to do that. But they were able to get that order in or did they cancel it on you? No, I was saying I had stocked up the store and you know, with that stuff, I l- always look at them as like long tail books, right? Like I'll sell yeah a couple this week and maybe one in a few other weeks. Right. And eventually it's all gone and you know, all ends up in the profit bucket. But what's, this is how you can always tell when a movie has, you know, there's movie news on, on some, uh, uh, product, you know, or character or something happens all of a sudden, you know, I sell out of every copy I have of something and it's like, Oh, well something just happened. Yeah. I don't know what it is yet, but something just happened. And that's how it was with the berserk was, yeah. All of a sudden, it was like, bing, 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 bing. They're all gone. Ouch. Well, Kurt, uh, Scott Gardner just recently was brought this on Back to the Bins that he was trying to unload his uh, She-Hulk books, and he thought they were going for nothing. And then, I guess, because the series is coming out, suddenly they became a hot 
property and he was able to unload them for a, a nice little profit and yeah that last issue bumped up issue 60 just jumped up seriously yeah. in price same I'm with like, moon knight why? apparently because the moon knight series is out uh those why his is books the last are issue I mean, the last... why did it jump i asked that I why is that worth 75 dollars why is that it's got what pat Oleaf doing the art who i like his style it reminds me of uh, early run friends probably a low print run could be yeah could be yeah. so it's rare Okay, and it's got a great joke on the cover that harkens back to the original. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but you they had, all have your some chance. sort of joke. Yeah, so, give, give, so hand them over. <laughs> yeah, just not quite as good as Burns' image. Close, but not quite. All right. Okay, all right. Let's shall move on. we? Yeah, <laughs> shall we go ahead and get into the book that we were here to talk about? <clears throat> X Men one forty two. Actually, excuse me uncanny x-men 142 and we talked about this last time but um up until issue 142 in the indicia on the very first page down at the bottom when it had the the title of the book listed it was always listing as just the x-men volume one whatever starting with this issue it is now the uncanny x-men volume one number 142 so on the cover it's always had uncanny x-men i mean for years and years why they decided to do it here, I don't know. But uh, that was a, uh, a conscious uh, you know, decision on their part then. So, of course, uh, published by Marvel with a cover date of February 1981. The on-sale date was November 18th, 1980. Cover price, 50 cents. Page count, 32. Uh, let's see. Writer, writer, plotter, Chris Claremont. Plotter, penciler, John Byrne. Inker, Terry Austin. Letterer Tom Orzachowski, colorist Glennis Wine, meet Rhea Oliver, and editor Louise Simonson, Rhea Jones. Now, as I understand it, it, you know, from what what we had read, this really was more burn plot and Chris Claremont simply script. But he did, you know, take some liberties in there. So, uh, you know, we, we talked about that before, though. Um this, of course, has been reprinted many, many times. Uh, Uncanny X-Men, Days of Future pa- uh, Past, number one. Uh, Greatest Battles of the X-Men, uh, Essential X-Men, volume two. Marvel collect- uh, Collectible Classics, X-Men, Days of Future Past, trade paperback. Marvel Masterworks, volume 90. And it's been uh, definitely reprinted in other areas uh, many, many times. Probably one of the most reprinted uh, trades out there. Uh, cover credit goes to Terry Austin completely. Um, and let's see, if we look at our chronology here, February 1981, uh, Byrne worked, worked only on two books, Captain America number 254, Blood on the Moors. So that's the um, completion of the Baron Blood storyline. Which we have covered. Right? Yep, which we have covered. And Uncanny X-Men 142, Mind Out of Time. Or is that time out of mind? I say that because if you look at the last page of 141, it actually says next issue. Time out of mind. Time out of mind. Whereas the the issue is actually mind out of time. Now, the question is, who made the error there? Um, I've always wondered that. And so I actually pulled out my artifact edition and was trying to see, you know, is that something, you know, that he did in post or is that something is that something burn put down there? And it looks like it was something that was put in in post or during the editing process. Yeah. Well, they have the right to change their mind. 
<laughs> yes, this is true. This is true. Now, the story title itself um, the, for the whole thing, The Days of Future Past, was actually Chris Claremont's idea. And so was the addition of Senator Kelly. But all the other major plot points were all burned. Now, uh, here we go for this synopsis. Now, I pulled this, of course, from the Marvel Wiki. Uh, I thought it was really, really good. I think it was the same writer that did uh, Tim's synopsis for the last one. Very succinct to the point, but it is uh, a, a little uh, verbose. But we'll just uh, dive into it, and here we go. <clears throat> In the present, the X-Men have appeared at the U.S. Senate to stop the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants from assassinating Senator Robert Kelly. They have been led there by the adult mind of Kate Pride, whose mind has been projected into the body of the younger of her younger self from 30 years in the future. While in this same future where the assassination of Kelly would lead to the passage of the Mutant Registration Act and the enslavement of all mutants, the last surviving X-Men head towards the Baxter Building to stop the Sentinel overlords before the rest of the world attempts to nuke the United States. 1980. The Brotherhood easily knocks past security and attempts to attack Senator Kelly, but the X-Men get in their way. As the two groups battle each other, Wolverine attempts to gut Pyro with his claws, but is stopped by Storm. As the battle rages, the security guard leads Professor Xavier and Moira McTaggart away, only to gas them as she's really Mystique in disguise. With Xavier and McTaggart as hostages, Mystique checks what the future is like with Destiny. Destiny still cannot see past the interference that prevents her from seeing the course of history is destined to take. Destiny is unaware that it is the adult mind of Kate Pride existing in the body of her younger self that is causing the interference. 2013, the far future. The last X-Men arrived just outside the Baxter Building, former headquarters to the Fantastic Four, and now the primary nerve center of the Sentinel's forces that rule America. With Rachel staying behind to watch over Kate's unconscious body, Storm, Colossus, and Wolverine go into action. Storm easily disables the Sentinels guarding the door, granting the team access to the building. Once inside, Wolverine uses one of the Fantastic Four's old signal belts to gain access to the private elevator that would lead them up to the Fantastic Four's old headquarters. As they ride the elevator up, they prepare to face the greatest challenge of their lives, 1980. As the battle continues to rage, Storm gets down on herself for not being as good a leader as Cyclops when she failed to see that the battle indoors is not helping their fight. Using her mutant power, Storm creates a wind that blows the Brotherhood and the X-Men outside of the Senate building where the battle continues. The battle becomes more complicated with the arrival of the National Guard with some tanks and soldiers which the Brotherhood easily exploits. When soldiers arrive with flamethrowers, Pyro uses his power to turn the flames into a giant fire monster that grabs hold of Wolverine. Storm manages to generate a powerful enough wind to blast the flame monster apart before it can seriously harm him. When Wolverine is approached by who he thinks is Nightcrawler, another Nightcrawler lunges at the other and a fight ensues. Unable to tell them apart due to the damage done to his enhanced senses from being burned, Wolverine decides to dive into the middle of the fight with his claws. Storm stops him and manages to order him to put his claws away. Wolverine, hating to be ordered around, complies, but warns Storm that this argument isn't over. They're soon attacked by Blob and Avalanche. Wolverine and Colossus create a level which, lever which allows them to toss Blob at Avalanche, while Storm creates a monsoon rain around Pyro, making it impossible for him to use his flame. While the real Nightcrawler lands a blow on his doppelganger, forcing Mystique to revert to her normal form, 
When Nightcrawler notices the resemblance between the two, the Mystique tells Nightcrawler to ask his adopted mother, Margali Sardos, about, the, about that next time he sees her. When Angel swoops in, it distracts Nightcrawler enough to allow Mystique to escape. Realizing that Kate and Destiny are unaccounted for, the X-Men rush back to the Senate building, hoping that they aren't too late. 2013. Exiting the elevator in the Baxter building, the X-Men spot a Sentinel working at one of the main computers. Wolverine orders Colossus to toss a fastball special. However, as Wolverine is hurtled towards the Sentinel, it detects his presence and incinerates him with a large blast, leaving nothing but a charred adamantium skeleton to clank on the floor. Yeah. Storm takes... Yeah. Storm takes down the Sentinel with a lightning bolt. However, more Sentinels enter the room. One impales Storm through the torso with a harpoon. This one is destroyed by Colossus, however, but he soon dies as well. While down on the street below, Rachel Summers listens to her friends die and sheds a tear, hoping that Kate succeeds on her mission in the past. 1980. Destiny has cornered Senator Kelly in an office with the Senate in the Senate and is about to shoot him with a crossbow. She's unaware that Kate Pride is in that room, and just before Destiny can fire the fatal history-making shot, Kate uses her phasing powers to pass through Destiny. This disorients her enough to make her shot just miss Kelly's head by inches. With history changed, Kate's mind is shot back into the future, and the strain causes Kitty to pass out. Storm arrives shortly after and takes Kitty away, while Destiny is taken into police custody. Later, aboard Warren's jet, as it heads back to the X-Men's headquarters, Professor X probes Kitty's mind and finds no trace of the future self. Further, young Kitty has no memory of the battle either. When Warren asks the professor if they indeed managed to change the future, the professor can only say that time will tell. The end. Bravo. Whew. Like I said, that was a pretty good synopsis. I, 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 thought, um, I, I don't think I could have written anything better than that. Y'all don't have to agree so readily. <laughs> No, really Brian, you left out the part with uh, Shaw and uh, Henry Peter Gyrich at the end. Yeah, well, you know, uh, and, and yeah, that that wasn't included in there, and I didn't even think about it until you mentioned it here. And the it's, controversial kiss. Well, okay, damn Tom, it. Please. There's nothing controversial about it. That other kiss, that kiss than is, the a, fact is a of one thing. I don't know. Shaw and Garrett kissing it would seem to be very <laughs> controversial to me, yeah, but that's just me. They're just that's not controversial. They're just showing their that they're Mutual uh, comfortable nowadays. Hey, yeah, Shaw, okay. Shaw's a good looking guy. Come on. Yeah, okay. Wait, wait, which one's a good looking guy? Shaw. Okay, but you know, Guy Rich, he wears those ugly uh, pants that have all the funky designs on them. Looks like something that Rodney Dangerfield would wear in Caddyshack. Well, he, he wears you know? his sunglasses inside, too. Yeah. <laughs> no, but um, we'll talk about the kiss right now. Um, the kiss itself was scripted by Claremont without Burns' knowledge. And it actually is one of those things that really got under Burns' skin because this story was supposed to be a definitive win for the X-Men. Meaning that the moment that Kate prevented Destiny from killing Kelly, the future was changed and that future no longer would exist. And therefore, Kate ceased to be. But by throwing that impulsive kiss in there, it basically says that she reverted back to the future and that she's still there. Meaning that that timeline continues. 
Now, I say there's other other things in that that Byrne hasn't talked about, and that's. I, I think you can read that as, uh, say, the timeline has changed, and as as they are kind of passing each other in the timeline, or however you want to describe it, that they have a brief kind of just they share their kind of consciousness, and maybe it's not a. It's I don't think it's a literal kiss. Um, it's more you of know, a you done you know, good kid is, kind of thing. The it's it's not even that you know the the thing is if you read the text there and and I'm gonna pull, I'm pulling it up right now so I can read this to you because as a kid reading this as a as a 14 year old boy reading this and you know it, it it says here in that split second an abyss opens within Kate Pride reality twists inside out and suddenly she comes face to face with herself as a child so innocent so vulnerable so young impulsively she gives herself a kiss that's that's not you know and people say it's incestuous lesbian and that's crap that is someone that sees who they used to be and is so hopeful that that that, that could continue that they just they impulsively kiss it. it it's affection but it's affection for you know that idealistic young child it's no different than a mother kissing a child i mean it's it's a yeah, that level exactly. and, it's, and people that are making something out of this it's it's much to do about nothing i mean really we're spending too much time talking about it because it really is yes. nothing. yeah yeah and I, as far as the burnt side of it where he's like mad about it and like because everything changed well isn't most time travel kind of depicted that once a person is out of the time stream the changes don't take effect until they get back to the time that they came from so like this is that transition period and i was thinking oh yes until she gets back to 2013 um that kate pride still exists until she gets back there and then everything changes and then she'll become the kate pride there but something that that reinforces that on and i'm sorry i don't have pages on my um on my scan the scene where they're they've just disabled the sentinel they're getting into uh they're just getting into the baxter building and and Logan is telling Storm she has to pick the lock, and uh, and it, she says, um, "I don't know. I don't know, Colossus. Our world may not change at all. Instead, Kate's actions could create an entirely different timeline, an alternate parallel Earth." Mm-hmm. And uh, Logan says, "So all this could be, you know, basically we could be wasting our time because if she succeeds, our future isn't going to change. It's just going to create an alternate one." And they're like, "We don't really know." So already, I well, think. It, it, it's the seeds are already in this to say that this isn't even their future because Rachel Summers being in this story is, is a contradiction to continuity at that time. Jean Grey was dead. The idea of resurrecting her from Kurt Busiek's great idea at the bottom of Jamaica Bay wasn't even a thought. So Jean Grey was dead. And yet here's the child of, of Jean Grey, you know, there. So there's something, you know, unless, you know, someone wants to retcon a story, you know, like they did with Gwen Stacy saying that, you know, she got pregnant from somebody else, you know, Rachel Summers' existence says this is a completely different future regardless. Well, and it was never. Oh, go ahead. But it was never possible. And all they did was guarantee that this timeline that we're reading from 1980 will not become that future. Well, it, it depends if you – and this is just a sci-fi idea that it depends if yeah. you subscribe to there's one timeline and and the past and future can be changed 
or the future can change the past, or there are multi. Every time you go back in time, it it skews it, and you get a new timeline. So there are you never can you can never change the timeline you're in because you're always going to have a a parallel timeline created with whatever change you initiate. So to this point, you know Wolverine's right. Like, this could be a waste of time. Same as they could say, well, in some other parallel timeline, this never happens. So why should we try to change it? Now, I think it's them being heroes. They feel they have to change something, whether, uh, you know, and even to their point, if they just stop the Sentinels here, they can still stop them from taking over the world. They may have changed the past so the Sentinels never take over, but they can't stop their progression here to keep it in uh, North America. So they can kind of change their their current timeline. They just can't um, change all of it. And even at the end with the bit with, Guy Rich and Shaw, that feels a little uh, how the Terminator movies started. How, you know, they would like, well, the future is going to happen no matter what and just kind of try to reassert itself. And Byrne made a comment that, you know, no, this was supposed to be a definitive win for the X-Men. That page was basically, uh, you know, kind of like a, almost a gag, uh, you know, saying it's it's not really going to happen, but here's the seed. So maybe we can see a, a, a modern-day Sentinel story instead of one set in the future. Hey, guys, I'm, I'm wondering, in these two issues, did they actually declare that Rachel was Scott and Jean's daughter? Because I'm not finding it. Um, well, didn't they call her Rachel Summers? I don't think they call her... I think they just call her Rachel. I mean, we're, we're to assume that with her powers and the fact she's got we're red hair. assuming that. I mean... Yeah. There's there in these two stories, and now that became later when they brought her back. But right. I think in these two stories, nothing ever says that she's Scott and Jean's daughter. Everyone's just assuming it. I mean, the way she well, looks, she could be Guy Rich's daughter. Yeah, well, I mean, no, her name is Rachel. Uh, obviously, she's red haired, she's got telekinetic and telepathic abilities. Okay, but and is there even still, far beyond assuming... because she's still able to do you know send somebody's mind through time. But you're still assuming something that doesn't necessarily have to have been that she's Jean's daughter. That that may In be the case. Of... However, we do find out later that she is retconned. Yeah, it's retconned. If you read the the days and of future that, present. Yeah. Which uh, which we're what going to try and cover here. In our little event, I know Kirk wants to cover it. Okay, anyway, do we want to take on. a look at the take a look at the uh, the story page by page because there's some some things I definitely wanted to point out. I got a whole page of notes. Yeah. Now, first off, um, the cover. And when you first got this, did you realize this was Terry Austin, or did you think this was Burn? Because the cover is fully by Terry Austin. There's no Burn. Yeah, Storm Storm has got some burnness to her. The Sentinel is less I don't want to say articulate. I don't know how to describe it. There's just not as much that is detailed. detailed. Yeah, detailed to it. Yeah. Um but Wolverine just looks so cartoony uh his face to me that um you know, it's like I it, it just didn't feel right. And there is an alternate page out there, an alternate cover that Burn did do, and it doesn't look right either. And that's one where Sentinel's holding Wolverine and uh, apparently frying him. And then they got there. You can see Storm being held in the background, much like this with the spear, harpoon, whatever but that is. That, uh, oh, I never noticed that. She has a spear in her. Uh, yeah. In that alternate one, aren't they in their costumes? 
not yeah. this future kind of ragtag stuff. They're in their X Men yeah. costumes, aren't they? Yes, that's correct. So I think that was. Uh, it's not a very. I mean, I know we talked about last issue's cover. I wasn't crazy about it. this one. Is for for what it is. It's it's not. It's a it's okay cover. It's not great. It's you know the fact that I think what everybody's reacting to is that Wolverine is getting uh, killed, and that you know of course you've got the scene inside the book where you get to see his metal skeleton, which is, seems to be a, a big fan favorite. And of course it says this issue everybody dies. So I think of course it would make you grab it off the shelf. Right. Now let me ask you, all of you, um, those especially that got it then, uh, did, you know, I mean, number one, looking at the cover, did you believe that what's happening on the cover was going to happen inside for one? I didn't, I just, you know, comic book covers, um, for the most part, you know, especially the, the DC ones, you know, they'd have weird and ridiculous things on there that would, um, you know, just not really truly be what's going on inside the book, just kind of a hint of the action you're going to see or whatever. So I didn't believe for a moment when I saw that, that that's going to happen. And also on, on top of everything, I was looking for this one like crazy. I was going into the you totem like every day, just going, is there something new? Is there something new? Is there something new? And of course they only came in on Wednesdays and I knew that, but I just, it was like OCD. I had to go in and look because I was like, just what's going to happen? Yeah, what's going to happen? And of course, I get it. I get home. I sit down and read it. And of course, the the that page where Wolverine gets what he gets was such a a, a true gut punch that it made me feel physically ill. That's probably the three burritos you had before you uh, you went to the store. Or the couple of ding dongs I might have eaten with the Doritos. Well, do you know uh, that he uh, apparently he is? Uh, this is oh, Kirk showing his uh, alter. That's uh, like Mark oh. Uh Wolverine was apparently pulled out of this. Uh, he's been resurrected twice. It says, although Wolverine seemingly dies in his story, he is resurrected twice. First, he is plucked out of the time by the Time Breakers. Who recruit him for an all Wolverine incarnation of the Exiles in Exiles eighty five. He sacrificed like great, great team name, Time Breakers. Like <laughs> yeah. who are you? We're the Time Breakers. What do you do? We break time. <laughs> we break time. <laughs> he sacrifices his life to defeat Brother Mutant and is returned to the exact moment before his death in Exiles eighty six. His corpse would be collected by X fifty one of Earth nine 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 seven and resurrected using a machine invented by Merlin in Paradise X, Herald's number one. I've never read any of those books, so. Yeah, and, and all that, of course, is, you know, later stuff, you know, the later things that Claremont and others would, would do. So I, you know, I don't know how I feel about that. You know, it's just, again, you know, they, they do so much with Wolverine that got just downright ridiculous. Yeah. Well, they go back to this well. Yeah, so many yeah, times they go back to just these two lot. stories, just these two issues. Spawn now, stuff. the the cover that Kirk brought up is the one I was talking about. I don't know if you guys took a good look at it. It's uh, it from the apparently they, they reprinted it in classic X Men, and so it's a part of the classic X Men scrapbook. And it is the the cover that that Byrne and Austin did together, where you see Wolverine getting fried up front, and with the Kirby crackle and the light around there, you can see his mask is lit up, and it looks so weird. And then, of course, you know, Storm getting impaled by what looks to be a metal rod and Colossus uh, already laying dead in the Sentinel's hands. But there's something 
almost unfinished about that image. And it, it makes me think more of those um, Marvel superheroes role-playing games that came out just a few years later. Mm -hmm. It looks like it would be the cover to one of those boxes. Right. Well, yeah. it's missing the, uh, what do you call it? The masthead um, yeah. across the top and the rest of the, the, the trade dress for the, the floppy, the comic book, although it's got the logo there. So in that sense, it's not quite finished, but, uh, I, I had always heard that this was the original proposed cover for, uh, 142. And as a result of the, the on-screen death of Oro, they decided no, uh, to nix this. And but they still did it. They had her dead on the other one. Yeah. Have you got that cover? Share that one if you would. Yeah. Um, it's going to take me a moment, guys. So Vamp. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I, until you mentioned it, Brian, I had never, as many times I've seen this cover, never noticed that she had the spear in her back while he's holding her, the Sentinel's holding her in his right hand. Um, I think it's kind of subtle because the where it's entering her body is all black. Yeah, and it kind so of so, almost blends in with the logo. Uh -huh. And I think that was intentional to, to you know, <laughs> granted you've got Wolverine getting fried to oblivion. And, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, maybe that's different compared to yeah, somebody actually so. having a, uh, a pole, you know, in, in their back, a spear. Who knows? And to, this, uh, are both versions uh, burn? No. No, this one's Austin on Austin. Okay. And to Brian's uh, question, when I first pulled this out of my brown paper subscription wrapper, uh, I was like, yeah, I thought, wow, this is, I, I really thought that yeah, this would be that the, they were going to kill the X-Men. Not yep. the ones we know, but the ones in the future, because I was I was invested in the story. So yeah, I believed it. I was like, wow, this is a cool cover. I mean, you guys are all nitpicking it, but back then I didn't care. <laughs> I was like, this is a great cover. Oh my gosh, mm -hmm. uh, this is uh, this is awesome. Well, I was surprised from rereading this how little of it takes place in the past. Most of it's in the present, and I thought more of it because once it, I think your mind fills in. You think. That once uh, Kitty phases through Destiny and, and she misses Senator Kelly, that's it for the future events. And you think, wait a minute, there must be more. And there's not. It's just like, so you've got one well, couple pages of the future stuff. It's mostly them fighting uh, the Brotherhood and the present and trying to save Kelly and doing a lot of, uh, there's a lot of exposition in this. Well, I, you know, I was I was thinking about the, the sequence as well. And I didn't feel, uh, sorry, I stepped away for the discussion of the kiss, but I didn't feel that there was any need for anything further um, beyond, uh, you know, when, when history or the future was changed. I felt that entire timeline had vanished. It was like, I didn't care whether they did the kiss or what have you. I got it that, okay, that, that time is gone. But the thing that kind of bothered me was I was thinking, what were the future X-Men attempting to do by going to the Baxter building? What was the point? Why, why didn't they just sit tight and wait for Rachel and Kitty to do whatever they were going to do? Why did they proceed to move? I would think, Kirk, it was because they were not sure that she would be successful. The fact that they were still there to them meant she hadn't been and they were still going to try to do their action because remember the uh, Sentinels were planning to start moving on the rest of the world. So they were doing what X-Men do, which is try to save the world. And they were, I think the Baxter building was probably the 
headquarters for the and, Sentinels. And that's where they were going to try to um, stop it internally before it expanded to the rest of the world. They did, they they can't just sit idle. They were just going to keep moving. That's my thought. Well, it's it's like blowing up Skynet. You know, they, their idea is that they're going to, this is their headquarters. They can at least halt them. It may, it may not stop them completely. And I think whether it's, this is in Byrne's story or this is Claremont's strictly his dialogue, he, he addresses that, you know, we may not, she may have already have fixed the past, but if it's, but if, it's if it's a scan, if it's going to tangent, then we won't know it. Our timeline's going to stay the same. So we still have to do what we're like John said, we're heroes. We have to do what we have to do, try to stop these guys and make this world better and hopefully kitty went back and made another world better so this doesn't happen um i, th- I think they could have gone about it a little differently because we've already shown that colossus can bulldoze his way through the uh, uh foundation of a building maybe the baxter building's too too sturdy but instead of going up and confronting them head on why not just try to topple the building um or have aurora you know do I mean I I know it has to happen for the the events to happen the way they do, but um, and it also has the time the 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 time travel trope that I hate is they keep talking about uh, and Rachel says this why is it taking so long as if what is happening in the past is running parallel with what's happening in the future like oh Kitty's been in the past mm-hmm. for four hours it's four hours past here how come things haven't changed well it doesn't work mm-hmm. that way what she could spend you know, 10 years in the past. And for you, it would still be instantaneous if it makes a change that's going to affect your timeline. So you right. shouldn't think, but that's, I mean, that's just a, I think that's just a, a writing. Uh, and the, the last thing I'll say before I keep rambling, I think there are very few time travel stories that there is a definitive end. Cause I think most writers like to leave, and at least in time travel stories, like to leave the end a little vague like, did we stop it? Eh, maybe we did. Maybe we didn't. So, because that opens that little crack in the door for future stories, and I think that's what happens here. Uh, if Byrne may have wanted it to be a definitive, you know, two issues done, the X Men won, uh, the the future isn't going to happen. So, I'm wondering if, and maybe Brian, you can speak of this. That last page was that in Byrne's original with Shaw and Guyrich. Was that something that Claremont added to kind of leave the possibility of of this story moving on or is was that always in burns uh, i guess little outline or however he however he broke this down brian has uh, left oh i guess he got upset and left yeah i think he's having some tech issues he's he's back he's been trying to join and he's been dropping in and dropping out and jumping in and dropping out for the so last he minutes. missed my whole speech i gotta do that all over he again? missed your whole... well he might have been able to hear you he's been trying to talk to us so. yeah, i've got something that. else uh that uh, as far as you know you say colossus could have toppled the building that's more uh superman's uh deal <laughs> yeah i see you uh brian uh you're you're uh, trying to come on board so uh i was thinking that here's an interesting bounce for you what if they had uh, recruited Avalanche in the future, assuming that he's just been introduced. True. And if he was in the future, he could have toppled that building. Easily. Easily. And that would have been an interesting self-sacrifice for him saying, oh my God, we did the wrong thing by shooting him. I'm trying to make amends. Ah, squish. That's so. actually pretty good. Well, it could be he maybe he overuses his powers and he dies, or to your point, the building comes out on him. That's a, yeah. that's a nice little... Uh, 
a connection with the uh, the current story, Kirk. That's a yeah. Uh, it just occurred to me when you were talking about Colossus uh, lifting it. I was thinking, now who else could do that? Because I don't think he's quite strong enough to to, to pull well, off that. Well, yeah, the Baxter truck. building may be reinforced or something. It may be. Oh um, yeah. So yeah. that you can't just he couldn't just plow through the foundation, but. Um... And we know eventually it becomes the four freedom plazas. No, let's not go there, please. That's yeah. That's an, I had that in my notes too. That you know that doesn't fit in with uh, that. It gets, but it isn't it back now. Didn't they destroy know. four freedom freedoms plaza and now they recreated the Baxter Building? I think in current comics it's back as the Baxter Building. Yeah, I think it is. Can yeah, you hear like, me? Yes, yes. coming in good. Thank you. Yeah. Did you did you hear the the movie rumor by the way about? Since the Avengers or the uh, Stark Tower was destroyed or the logo was destroyed in the movies, that it could easily be turned. What's the remnants of it into an F? Oh, good. No, I had not heard that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no. <sighs> yeah, no. Uh, yeah, no. You don't want the Fantastic Four in your movies, or like well, I want the your... Fantastic Four, but you don't have to tie them to all that. I, I, I just want to see them organically brought in. So I, I, I still want them as a period piece and then they you know have it as, as in the 60s and then they go off into space and they come back and it can be like with uh, uh captain marvel you know she's gone for however long she was gone 20 years or whatever mm, and comes back right. so they come back and because of time distillation or something they're they don't they're not that much older and then they get right. reintegrated mm. into yeah but um, you know the the thing is with the marvel the, with the mcu they don't have a history you know like like when iron man first came out he was the first even though there was captain america back in the 40s iron man was the first of that generation of of heroes and such that came out and then it exploded from there they don't ever mention that there was you know the the fantastic four which the fantastic four would be the beatles and it would be something that people would still be talking about in later times, uh, unless unless the mission failed, right, and you know, kind of lost a history, kind of thing, right? That they went up in their ship and then they were never heard from again, you know, kind of thing, you know. And and maybe you're right that it would be uh, you know, turn into like a JFK type thing, right? Where every year, right, somebody's talking about it as a uh, you know new information, you know. Mm-hmm. But, but right, I, I'm sure they'll introduce them as supposedly there were hints of that at uh, during. Uh, WandaVision, that there were talk of... An astrophysicist. Right, she was talking about cosmic energy and cosmic rays or something that hinting at that there was maybe Reed's Reed's project, maybe he's already gone to space, was part of, uh, is it S.W.O.R.D.? Uh, Was part of S.W.O.R.D. or something. They're hinting, I think they're, you know, people may be stretching, but there were hints that possibly that maybe they're already out in space and they're going to come back, but they wouldn't be, they'd be contemporaries. They would be um, uh, you know, but how do you integrate them? Because we don't have, uh, other than Avengers, we don't really have a team. That's the only team we've got. We've got separate individuals, Captain Marvel, uh, Black Panther, uh, Ant-Man, you know, they're all kind of loosely associated with the Avengers, but we don't, we don't have another team like the X-Men or the Fantastic Four, uh, or anybody. I mean, other than the Defenders, that's the only other team we've had and right. that's on TV. So, It'd be interesting to see how they how they integrate the the FF uh, into yeah. Now let's let's go ahead and get back to the the book. Sorry, though. sorry, sorry. We, no, 
we're okay. We just want to, uh, you know, get back on on track here. I'm surprised um, that uh, Kirk hasn't hit his cowbell, but <laughs> or we haven't heard the goat. Where's that, the goat? The the bell hasn't rung. I defer to the cow, the screaming goat. <laughs> oh, there's the cow. There he is. There's the goat. All right, let's let's uh, look at that first page because I, I mean it, it is firm and fully packed. Uh, <laughs> Because you've got, of course, yeah. on the left side, the X-Men and the Brotherhood kind of in a different view of what you saw uh, on the last page when the X-Men appeared in front of the Brotherhood to protect Kelly. And then the the other side of, of Kate, you know, Kate's st- there in the middle. And on the other side of the X-Men of the future in 2013, so far in the future, that uh, <laughs> and, you, and, and it looks like a couple Sentinels are about to grab them. But that's just like a representational image. It's not what it, what's it, what's actually happening, because it makes Wolverine look like he's running away from him. Hello, hello. I'm well, here. well, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah. I think it's just showing that she's linking the two. And in fact, it says yep. linking the two worlds is is Kate Pride, Kate Pride. Um, yeah, this is the, a tale of two worlds and and of the child slash woman who sought to save them. Yeah, yeah. But I thought it was a really good representational image. But I I, I almost wish we'd gotten more of a of a storytelling page. But I can understand, given that the next page is a two-page spread across the top and then four panels on the bottom. So you, you, you would have to read across the two pages and then read across the two pages again at the bottom. And I like how Kelly's hand goes up into the upper panel. Mm-hmm. Very uh, Kirby kind of thing. But there's well, almost like yeah, a... He's pointing directly at the... He seems like he's, you know, he's, put, he's pointing directly at them in the panel above. Yeah. At the Brotherhood. Now I did find interesting on the on this panel, and we've talked about it before we were recording, that if you look um above Angel's leg, there's like three outlines of what looks to be head. When I first saw it, I was like, "What the heck is that?" Because it it to me, I thought it at first said like a, a really weird looking two hundred or just something very very bizarre, but it turned out it was just heads that were not uh, fully rendered. And I'm wondering if that was, you know, a mistake on Terry Austin's part, or he just thought it looked better like that. I don't know. What do you guys think? Did I lose it again? No, I'm I'm looking. Oh, um, sorry. No, I, I like it. I mean, I think it's. Uh, um... <laughs> Brian, when you said that, it reminded, it made me think of uh, the mayor in Nightmare Before Christmas when he goes up to Jack's house and he's like knocking on the door, and all of a sudden. There's no answer, and all of a sudden his head switches around. He's got this look on his face, like ah, Jack. <laughs> You're like, did I lose it again? <laughs> well, definitely my connection's been um, not not uh, great today. Now I got to say one other thing about this: the blob perfectly represents to me kind of the mob of people that went into the Senate on the sixth of January. <laughs> oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Was it the same building? Is this they the were, same building? Are they hiding in the same area? Where, they're tourists. Uh, tourists, okay. Brian. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, but to, to your question earlier about, you know, was it a mistake? I, I think this just probably falls into the category of they're just getting their books out, right? So mm-hmm. rather than detail out the whole background, you probably thought, okay, I'll just ink their heads, you know, and there's so much else going on in this oversized panel it's not really a big deal because even the Marvel unlimited digital version of this, which I'll give Marvel credit. They do a good job of trying to clean up, you know, all of these um, older comics 
and sometimes they do end up, you know, recoloring them or, or re-adding in detail or, or bringing back detail that was lost due to the uh, printing process. And even in the digital version, it's still just the outline of the heads. Yeah, that's what's so. on mine. I, I think it's if if he was to draw the bodies, then that's going to get kind of mixed in with all yeah. these legs that are below it. Yeah. And that's already kind of detailed enough. So uh, I think it's just there to show that Senator Kelly is not there by himself. There were, uh, there were, you know, this place was full of people. Uh, and then that, that, you know, that, but he, he has colored in because, you know, he's the, he's the, he's the MacGuffin of this story. So. Yeah. I, I went ahead and pulled out my artifact edition, um, the X-Men's artifact edition. And this double page spread is included in there. Um, there was very few pages from days of future past. Um, but, but this one's in there and it's interesting because down at the very bottom on the right side, there is, you know, avalanche has ripped up the floor with his power. There is a, a, a note here. It says, no, not an oaken floor, marble. See splash page. <laughs> Don't color it brown. Yeah. So that was, that's cool. It's, well, it's, it's, go ahead. No, I was going to say I, from, you know, and I talked about this last, uh, the last episode we did about, uh, I thought Avalanche's powers were a little, to me, I, I guess in my head, my head kid and I had a different idea what his powers were. And from watching what he does, he always does this kind of ripple thing where the kind of the ground swells up and throws people off. Mm -hmm. I thought, shouldn't he be called Tidal Wave or Tsunami instead of Avalanche? Maybe. Or you could call him Robocop. <laughs> <laughs> or rom he does it does, does look a little bit like rom um, and then there's a color note at the top wolvie's leg betwixt storm and sprite behind storm's knee so it's like he was trying to make sure that the colorist differentiated between the legs and the feet because you see how they're all like almost twisted up there yeah but but, his, but it's just mine is colored wrong because his boots are red not brown hmm. and his pants are yellow odd man Colossus's feet are so much bigger than Warren's. Well, he's a big guy. <laughs> he's a big guy, yeah. I think that the, the most impressive figure in this whole thing, just because of the detail that went into drawing him, is the blob. Because he just looks like the, the, he looks real, like someone I've, I've seen, you know? Hmm. Have you seen how I, I kind of did a little research on how, how he looks now? They brought him, he now has a. He has like a secondary mutation or something. He does, but he got his powers back. You know, he lost them in, um, when Wanda got rid of all the, the mutants. And mm. then he got it back somehow. And now he's, uh, he's got a big tattoo on his, on his stomach that says, it's got a pig on it and it says something. And then he's got nipple rings and he really looks terrible. But, <laughs> um, you think you had me at nipple ring? Yeah, <laughs> I give him credit for you know here's a, here's a, you know they, they talk about representation. Here's a guy that you know he's happy in his own skin. You know he's he's not being body shamed. He's happy with being kind of a plus size guy. So yeah, he's one of those guys though that I think his powers get his powers change with every writer. Right, it's like they, they don't, don't have a right. good they right. don't have a good idea what he what he can actually do. Well, his strength uh, seems he, to change too. Yeah. Because he's supposed to not be super strong, at least that's how he's written in Ohatmu, if I remember right, and and yet he's able to he's able to have a fight with the Hulk in in Marvel fanfare. Him and Eunice. I think it comes mm. from him just being, you know, unstoppable and or unmovable, and in fact he can't be hurt. I guess he, mm -hmm. you know, his fat layer is. Um... Now, if you go to the next page. <coughs> 
you see Nightcrawler and Byrne has done this little motion image where you see three images of a Nightcrawler going into his little bamf and attack on um, on the avalanche. Now, he typically doesn't like to do these. He made comments in the past that he didn't, wasn't a fan of it. He usually only did it when, you know, working as, say, an art robot. So, like, if he was on Marvel Team Up and Claremont wrote something for Spidey to do a whole bunch or Iron Fist or Daredevil, you know, he would, you know, do those for them but just when the writer asked for it. So why he did it here is really kind of unusual, but it, you know, definitely illustrates what, what Nightcrawler is doing. And it's a very cool effect where Nightcrawler's done that. And then he does the three punches. Yeah. He's done that before. He likes to do yeah. that's almost. Yeah, that's, I think it's cool. Unfortunately, destiny is close by and able to tell avalanche, you know, to strike to his left and he just punches where Nightcrawler appears kind of sucks. Right in the gut. <laughs> yep. Now the, the bottom panel on the left, it looks almost like Pyro is laying on the rubble, but he's not actually. He's, you know, just kind of cowering away from Wolverine's claws. I would too. And this, of course, shows more of, there's a lot of, in this, of of Storm's, uh, I wouldn't say uneasiness, but her, her, she's newly appointed leader. So she's dealing with, you know, because Wolverine's obviously just going to stab Pyro right through the his his little backpack. And she's, you know, you ain't yet, you know, blows him away and says, you know, that's not, uh, that's not necessary. And she later brings up a point, which I thought was interesting that she tells him, you, you know, almost like you rely on your claws too much. You know, you're, you're fast, you're smart, you're invulnerable, you know, you don't, the claws shouldn't be your first, uh, go-to weapon, go-to, you know, and I think that kind of plants a thought in Wolverine's, you know, brain, you know, but hey, you know, if you've got those, why not use those? You know, if you want to, you know, stop the conflict right away. Then, yeah. Well, it's it's interesting though in, in this panel here where she's using you know the wind to make the little tornado from Wolverine. If you go to the first issue of the Days of Future Past when Kitty is in the danger room, Storm does the exact same thing to her. It, it's almost like a mirror mirror of the well, not not a yeah. mirror, but a, a duplication of the of the effect. So that's kind of cool. And then. Um, I don't know. I find the page with, uh, you know, Mystique as the cop leading Xavier and, and Moriway almost unremarkable. But I wanted to ask you guys the the second panel there where you see Xavier and Moira. And then there's these images that are like a silhouette or something behind them. Is that like the dust that's settling from the, the walls coming down? Because you also see it on the third panel as well. And I'm just trying to figure out, you know, is that what what that is? I don't know. It looks like it could be just shadowy figures in the back, you know, just. Yeah. But because there's so much dust and everything from the the walls being knocked down and the actual walls, if you know, are those wood paneling uh, ornate Mm -hmm. uh, things that you see, you know, as 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 uh, Mystique is running, running along. Yeah. I I never looked at Mystique where she's turning back into herself. I mean, I always loved it when he does that kind of. uh, a change for her where you see half the half, half and half half and half. Yeah. yeah. It was cool. So is that mace at her side or is that, what is that at her Just side off of her belt? It's like a radio. I, yeah. I don't know. Or Mr. Spock's tricorder. <laughs> well, she looks a little bit like, you know, he would draw snowbird in her civilian disguise. Yeah. She was a cop and she always wore kind of a skirt. That's what this reminded me of. Um, hmm. She's being this lady cop. With her little stun gas and and the Kenzie, yeah, 
why she didn't why she doesn't kill Xavier. I don't know. She thinks he's more as a and, hostage, but why? As I was rereading this here, the next page, like just kind of maybe think of something. And it was like Mystique goes to Destiny and she goes, you know, so how fair is our future? And Destiny goes, well, there's something blocking my view of the future. And I'm just like, if I was Mystique, I'd be sitting there going, you have one job. You have one job. Your powers to tell the future. Well, she's, she's got legs for days in that first panel. <laughs> she, she does. <laughs> she's like 14 feet tall. Is her, we assume her, because she's blind, right? Yeah. We assume her costume has no eye holes, right? It's just a, a face covering or whatever yeah, it is. She can't that's see That's what it. I thought. Yeah. It's and just solid. Also, it brings up the same question we had last uh, episode that if if she is seeing the future, how far is she seeing? Is she seeing the dystopia that is 2013? Because Mystique obviously keeps asking her, you know, I don't, is she asking her, are we fix, Are we going to win? Do you see us winning, killing Senator Kelly? And, and you know, does she see far enough ahead that killing Kelly produces uh, the Sentinels taking over and then everybody's dead? Or is it just she's saying far enough that, yes, we're going to kill Kelly and that's going to, you know, incite all this terror and fear that we want to let him, you know, leave us mutants alone. So let me get a nice recap of last yeah. issue. But yeah, I mean, that that's a good question. You know, if, if she's able to see into the future... Why isn't she seeing all the bad crap? But you know, here she's, you know, like she sees this anomaly. Now she's not looking at it like the ancient one looked at it in uh, the Doctor Strange movie, because the ancient one had no illusion. That was her moment of her death, the anomaly or wherever you know it just stopped. Well, but, Destiny, I don't think she can see very far into the future, and she doesn't actually see the future. She sees possibilities. Mm-hmm. So she's so that's why and then i think because kate's there she's already starting to change the timeline in some way so that's probably clouding her ability to see what's kind of going on is what that's how i interpreted it yeah that no that's good Ooh. i tell you that uh, image you know they're doing a recap in the bottom six panels here of of the last issue and that image of storm there with her hair like that looks kind of bizarre it's almost like she's trying to copy wolverine's or she's grown back from the Mohawk, but there was never a thought of the Mohawk at this point. I think her hair just pulled back in a, in pulled a back. ponytail, isn't it? Yeah, I definitely. Yeah. yeah, definitely. It's just, like I said, from that angle, the look of it, I'd never noticed it. I, you know, it's like you sit there and you read these over and over. You don't take time to sit there and look at the panels in detail, like what we're doing here. Um, the, the fact of the matter is, though, is that Burns art and Austin Inks stand up to the scrutiny in a great way you can sit there and you find usually find very little um that you could sit there and call fault the, these books are for uh, less than a better term perfect in the execution as far as the artwork goes and i can see why when people sit there and talk about burn and they say his older stuff was better what they're saying is they like the the look of the inks of terry austin on burn at this time because it didn't look exactly like Burns' later work. Well, yeah, you were talking yeah. about per perfect. I don't, I don't. So the next page, I always had a problem when I, reading this because Wolverine says, "Hold it, another patrol." Okay, if Sentinels are supposed to be three stories tall, you're you should be able to hear them coming from a long, long <laughs> <Yeah>. way. <laughs> yeah. You know, 
So I said just an issue with that, you know, especially with Wolverine with his heightened sense of smell and, um, you know, uh, tracking, you know, ability. They should have been hearing them a mile from them. Just thought that was kind of odd. I mean, I know it's to build suspense, but yeah. What I'm curious of is if anybody knows New York, you know, from the '80s well enough to look at that image where Wolverine's looking at the Baxter building and, and can tell where they're at. Are they in Hell's Kitchen? Are they in Harlem? Where are they at? I think the Baxter building is supposed to be Midtown, right? Yes. Yeah. But where are they compared to that? You know, you, you see they're multiple city blocks away. Well, I don't mean they, they, they broke out of the Bronx, so they had to cross. Uh, mm-hmm. They had to cross one of the bridges to get into Manhattan. Um, Do they have to pay a toll? Oh, no, it's free. <laughs> They, they, yeah. they swam like King Kong. Uh, I, pant- I do I do like how Storms, you know, when she decides to take action, you know, against the, the Sentinel that's blocking their way. So, it's hard to depict her flight ability to mm-hmm. actually show the speed as well. Yeah. And I think the uh, panels, what is this? Uh, one, two, three, four, and five do a good job of that because we get the little skinny line coming off the ground. Like, you know, you, you're supposed to understand she's launching in the air very quickly. Mm. And then and the next panel, wind is doing it for her. Yep. And then the next panel, right. She's coming in to view of the Sentinel and then the blast to the Sentinel of, of lightning. It's just great. Cause I think she's a character that's, I don't want to say misunderstood, but she's incredibly powerful. It's just, she's on a team with a whole lot of other people that are incredibly powerful but her abilities, you know, as a character are are just great because she can really do some interesting things. But that that brings up a question. I mean, the Sentinels already know that the X-Men have escaped. All right. And what they need more than anything is good cover to protect them from being you know, seen by the Sentinels. Why hasn't she created hurricane type, you know, thing they're centering on Manhattan so that the Sentinels are so busy dealing with the weather that, you know, they they. Couldn't or, even possibly find them. Or you fog. Know? Create just blanket the or whole. Pea soup fog. Yeah. yeah. Well, the fog. The fog would be a good idea. The the hurricanes or tornado type stuff that would probably be just as <laughs> hindrance to them as it would be. <laughs> no, because she's always able to move the center of it so that that you know they would. They, I mean, again, that would probably tell the sentinels where they are. That would let the sentinels know where they are. Yeah. Oh look. Yeah. There's you know, earlier space right the, there. I wonder if that's where the X Men are. <laughs> yeah. In the previous issue, Storm wasn't able to take out the Sentinels with lightning until Wolverine exposed the the inside because they were insulated. Yeah. Yeah, but this one here, she's able to just. It's like this is a, an older model or whatever. Yeah. Well, in the uh, the uh, the X Men cartoon where they kind of they kind of do this story, there's a scene where one of them goes up against Magneto, and there's like, I am made completely out of plastic. You can't. You can't affect me. <laughs> Last time I checked, electricity doesn't go through plastic very well. But um, they treat the the, the Sentinels are, are almost like they're guys in uniform. They're like they're soldiers. They're not right. robots. So that this guy is just standing as a as a guard in the Baxter Building. Yep. They don't have sensors. They don't have cameras. They don't seem to have any kind of. They would have some kind of a. It's just like, like hired muscles <laughs> sitting outside. Yeah, yeah. He's just like okay, yeah. all right, you know, all right, you know, Sentinel whatever your name is, you go stand guard. And they would Plus, have... They might have been like, because they thought they had all the mutants totally under control and they wouldn't fight back, <clears throat> the mutants there, or the sentinels there, are just to keep 
renegade humans from doing stuff so they don't need to be fully capable of dealing with mutants maybe that's well and that's why we don't because in the panel above where wolverine's looking at the baxter building you see in the on the the wooded the fence it says off the muties so Mm -hmm. we don't ever really get a sense of what civilians non-mutants are like in this world are they okay with the sentinels running the world as long as they're keeping the mutants at bay are they okay with that although they seem to be like they're living in squalor so that bus ride that bus ride was, I thought, pretty de- demonstrative of, of the right, of how it is. So they yeah. right. So are the are the you know what if you play gamma role they're called pure strain humans. If the non mutant humans hate the mutants, are they okay living the way they are in kind of what feels like a third world country? As long as there's no mutants, you think that that they would be living kind of in a much more luxurious level. And the mutants would be in these slums, but it seems like everybody's living kind of at the same level, other than the fact they're not in concentration camps. I think that with any dictatorship, there's always going to be people that oppose whether your 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 scapegoat villain are also put down or not. There's always going to be people that want to back. So I think there's probably um, a group of humans that are not for this and um, would be fighting against them. So, And we know that because the rest of the world is against it. So, I'm sure there are Sentinel sympathizers that are probably living someplace <laughs> nice uh, because they are like, they're like the, uh, the anyway, I'm sure there are always people that sympathize with the bad guy that uh, is going to you know profit from that. But um, anyway, I love yeah. on the next page how when the Sentinel slumps up against the wall, it goes Kong. <laughs> And, and Wolverine has a uh, Fantastic Four um, belt buckle that will open up the the elevator to go up. I, I want to understand something. Does that does the the laser the, the the sensor that reads that thing does it slide up and down based on the height of whoever's there? Because everybody does it from their belt buckle, and not everybody's got the same height waist, right? I think it's like a TV remote. They just draw it as a straight line. Yeah, I, I think. Uh... Uh, I mean, that, that's something I've always seen Burn do. I don't know about other artists if they do that, but, you know, I mean... Well, Kirby did it, I think, fan. and the first time you see it when Kirby is in a, and Sue Storm is coming in, and I think it's the very early issues, and she's like, oh, they, you know, they say, oh, don't wait in the elevator. The elevator hadn't been working all day. And she's like, oh, you don't know that I've got this, you know, this secret belt buckle that, that only we can use. And it, that's yeah. almost like he's paying an homage to that because the panel looks almost the same. Right. And it'll never show us the robot secretary. Oh, she's long, Roberta's long since gone. Would she have joined the Sentinels? She's a Sentinel sympathizer. Yeah, she was one. Yeah. Oh, dang. That's harsh. Along with Jocasta and. What about Herbie? Uh, <laughs> Herbie. What about Herbie? He was Doctor's son. Oops! Spoiler. <laughs> yeah. Woo. I'm back right, to so... 1980 on the next page, and we're in the full swing of battle. Yeah, and this is a, you know the. It's weird. I, I feel like Angel's wings look in, in, in this issue smaller than they typically do in other burn books. It's something that, that it's like he's made them smaller just because the panels are smaller um, in this story because it is, you know, a nice, uh, would you say, compressed storyline. Okay. And because he's making so many small panels, it's made made Angel even smaller than uh his wings look smaller than than what I'm normally used to. 
Well, they're they're pretty they're pretty tall. I mean, they're they're extending out. I don't know how I don't know what his. I mean, even when they're brought in, they're not they don't drag the floor. I think they're they touch the ground just about when he's got them kind of a, a relaxed, which explains how he possibly pinned those to to his to his back and his legs when he's in his suit. But yeah, but like my first modern day impression of Angel back in on in this was in X Men one thirty two. The very first page, you've got you know Angel. Uh, mm-hmm. in you know in his tank top and red shorts you know swooping in on on cyclops and the team and he is so huge his wings are so huge and you know it, it, even in the 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 other pages that you see in there his wings have a large you know the large presence on on any image that he's in and here they just don't seem as it, you know, he's thinned them so he can fit more into the page um, is, is all yeah, I'm saying and I'm sure you could, you could probably compress I don't know. You can probably compress your, you know, I'm not a bird, but you can maybe compress your length. Mm-hmm. I, I like the yeah, fact that Blob is just the st- artistic. Yeah. Part. Yeah. I like the fact that Blob is just standing there getting, you know, like take your best shot and, and Cyclops or Colossus' hand is just disappearing into his, into his, into <laughs> yeah. his fat. And then when Storm does the, the, the gale force wind to get them all out of the building, Colossus is grabbing onto him, holding <laughs> onto the Blob. I didn't, I didn't notice that. Yeah. He is. Yeah. He's, well, I mean, he's not going to move unless he wants to. But he does, because he, or does he? No, he doesn't, because later he, I he guess. He jumps what, out. Well, well now Colossus is, when he gets out with a big whammo, I guess that's because oh, yeah. uh, the blob is hitting maybe, or, or he bounced off his belly or something. Um, Does anybody know who Joni and Rick are? No, I looked them up. I couldn't find them as being any. Um, there was a mention in the Marvel Wiki about them. It was a link, so I'm gonna go. What well, you guys did? I looked, I looked at that. I couldn't see it, but uh, oh, okay, all right, no big. And then when the Blob jumps out, we you know, we talked about this last issue that you know his again his powers are a little vague sometimes. Like, can he, you know, does he, can he control his mass? That's how he becomes immovable, or and what he says here, he's he's trained himself to, I guess, become denser. So he's coming out very, very heavy, hoping he can crush Colossus. And then he rips up the straight, which seems, seems a little too strong for him. Yeah. But I, when, the, when the tanks come in and they shoot, and you see Peter, you know, the Zark, and Peter goes flying. Now, this this image right here looks very similar to the when the X-Men appeared in the, was it the last issue of Iron Fist? And... Um, Iron Fist punched Colossus with the Iron Fist. And I think the Colossus flew the exact same pose. That's his general reaction being punched in the chest. It's cool. Though. <laughs> I just, yeah. Yeah. And the I image below that. with, uh, with Pyro looks like the id from forbidden planet. And that may be, <laughs> that may be purposeful, but, and, and since we're talking about that, I got a question about, cause he grabs, uh, he grabs, it almost looks, and the next page looks a bit like Zach's. Um, yeah. When he grabs, are we to assume these flame creatures or creations have some type of mass? Because he's picking up Wolverine. Yeah. It, or are they I mean, just it, flame? Obviously, there's something to it that, that, that Pyro is able to do to make the flames almost solid. solid. Yeah. And then, fortunately, Storm is able to, I, to I, blow it apart. I don't know if it's picking him up or if they're just not showing you that he's. He's just grabbing him? He's just grabbing him okay. on the ground because right before, you know. Wolvie's on the ground, and then it just shows you with the claw wrapped around him. So okay, I don't think just kind of engulfing him in flame. Up. Yeah, it's All just right. engulfing him in flames. But I do like the blob's got the looks like a piece of I guess street or asphalt, 
And Wolvie's like, you know, if you're so yeah. invulnerable, how come you're afraid of my claws? <laughs> Uh, you may be invulnerable, but I think you would slice him up. I'm just saying this next page where where there are two night crawlers in the fight. I think that out on Facebook, this is probably one of the most replicated pages out there that people show over and over again. You know, Storm standing up to Wolverine and showing that she is, you know, the leader of the X-Men. Well, there's a lot of that in this book. And I think it's, it's a good character development for her that she's not, you know, she's not afraid of Wolverine and that, you know, and she says, I, you know, I don't really want to be the leader, but I'm, I'm not going to shirk my responsibilities. I'm going to be the best leader I can. And, mm-hmm. and you're going to do mm-hmm. what I tell you to do. I don't care who you are. Um, and I think Wolverine's finding that he can't kind of give her the same kind of gruff he gave Cyclops. She's not going to put up with his, with his crap so that, yeah, uh, and I, think- I do. I do like that though. The last thing he says, but this conversation ain't finished, not by a long shot. And guess what? They never finish the conversation, <laughs> ever. Not that I'm aware of. I think it gives him time to think about that. Maybe she's right. You know that. Yeah. Maybe I do rely on my. Uh... And, and the, the very next scene is he's working a little smarter. He's. Uh... Well, Colossus actually comes up with the idea. Yeah, you know, to use him, and I, I don't know if that would actually work. I mean, I know your bones won't break, but. Uh, you've got muscle and skin. And I, organs. I think yeah, that would have been better if ground had come up with the blob. Um, they did that in, in, in the Marvel fanfare where the blob fought the Hulk. The Hulk grabbed the blob by the arms and lifted him up off the ground and huge chunks of ground came up with the blob's feet. Well, I think it's, that's his power says that for long he's in contact with the earth, he can... Uh, Nothing can move him. Right, but it also shows that if you, t- I guess he has to concentrate to be immovable because right now I guess he's not thinking about it and he kind of gets taken by surprise yeah. and so otherwise they wouldn't be able to throw him up off the ground. Yeah. Wow, I'd never noticed Angel in the background there where Colossus is carrying the I-beam and I'm trying to figure what kind of ground they're actually on. Is that pavement? Is that is that you know street, concrete, or it's what? Probably concrete right outside because it looks like the same area where Blob was tearing up the street when he was throwing peter off he's got a piece of looks like asphalt what, or something in his hand if if it was like a parking lot that was just you know like um regular pavement i could see him rolling that and it would roll like this but if it was concrete it would be crackling and breaking apart all over the place you'd see cracks everywhere yeah, yeah just handle the stress concrete. yeah so i think it's probably pavement like a parking lot i want to know where peter got the i-beam was that part of the building or was there a construction site nearby <laughs> Good question. Playing around. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because there's no, there's, there was no mention of construction anywhere around them. And then all of a sudden, here comes Peter with a huge I beam. Yeah. And that had to be close by. It's not like he's a fast runner or anything. Yeah. I do like that, though, you know, the, the, the blob coming down. And apparently, he and Peter have enough time during his flight to say you're gonna die rescue that's a promise <laughs> and Klaus goes i intend to prove that no matter how awesome the blob thinks his power has become colossus will not be crushed by him by anyone and it's like okay did he actually have time to say all that while the, while <laughs> the blob was in the air we don't know how far yeah. you threw him in the air <laughs> and of course we the, have hit, to... the hit elicits yeah. a conan a conan deity crom <laughs> but i love that uh, avalanche over there going blob oh no <laughs> i think they would kill avalanche 
I think. His armor, you know, with those big shoulder pads, you know, protected him. And then at the bottom, we get a great, uh, I wrote, that's a great Kirk double hand hammer punch. Uh, <laughs> I hadn't noticed that before. <laughs> There's a, a YouTube, I mean, YouTube's got a series for everything, you know, where they get experts to talk about things they see in, in movies and TV. And there was like a, a fight, you know, a fighting specialist, MMA and all that. And he was commenting on William Shatner's fighting style as Captain Kirk. And he said, that's got to be like the least effect, effective, um, uh, you know, strike that you could do both hands like that. You'd really have to have a great wind up. And you'd be focusing on the muscle of, of, of you know one arm rather than the other. Yeah, I don't think you can get a lot of weight behind it, but it looks great. It looks great on film, and yes. it's great here in the comics. And of course, that gives us our big reveal of this. That's so cool. Is is uh, are these two related? Is yeah. mistake his mother? And it turns out, I guess they kept that right. That his the mistake is his mother, and yes, yeah, the the demon. Uh, what's his name? Azazel. His Azazel is his Azazel. father. Yeah, yeah. But he's actual demon. I guess that would explain Night Nightcrawler's grab bag of powers. Mm-hmm. Although I don't think they've changed this. I mean, other than him being able to teleport, I don't think he's. Does he have any new powers now? Well, no. I mean, but you know, he's always had that shade around his face, and then whenever Nightcrawler is in shadow. He disappears completely. If you if you look at the early X Men when they were at the castle at Banshee's castle, there was a thing where Nightcrawler came across all these I don't know leprechauns or whatever. But it, it was you know shown just how Nightcrawler's power works that he goes into shadow and he becomes invisible. Well, I thought Ohamu said that that was contrary to what the popular belief that he does actually become invisible. He doesn't. He's just so dark that he naturally blends in. Uh, in shadow that he doesn't actually it, become invisible it's been definitely been debated for years but still that is such an awesome panel of her in that half and half mm-hmm. um you know it's like i remember staring at that and just like okay which part is nightcrawler okay the feet are still they're coming together her toes are coming together well it, it, to john's point when he does this it, he, it's not just a split down the middle kind of half and half it looks like it's flowing over her or him yeah so that you know, Nightcrawler is slowly disappearing and, and mis- similar to how they do in the film where those little, her little skin things kind of flip around or change or whatever. Um, but this opens up a whole other storyline that gets later addressed. And Kirk to the point where he wants to stop the fight and he's like, no, I want I want to know more about this. And Angel's and, basically telling him, we don't have time for that. But, but Claremont just dropped the ball on that. Again, you know, he didn't let Wolverine and Storm finish their conversation. He never, ever during the next what 70 60 plus issues you know had nightcrawler go see his adopted mother or a golly to find out what mystique meant and all that yeah you would think that would be something you wouldn't forget about <laughs> well i mean it's just you know Cl- claremont and the dangling subplots you know he he'd sit there and dangle things yeah. for years and years on end and you know you don't get you don't get you know the resolution to that and that was one that really frustrated me because that's something that, you know, it's like if, if I had a revelation like that, I'd be, you know, on the next plane once, you know, things settled down. But uh, nope. Well, we had to move on to the next page. And this is one of my favorite panels because uh, Tim pointed out the Sentinel at the front of the Baxter building, right? Uh, you yeah. know, kind of just looking like a like a bouncer. 
I loved it that there's a sentinel just like working, like you know, you know, dang wiring stuff never <laughs> works right. Ugh. He's just totally engrossed in what he's doing, and he does not notice that the three of them are coming up the elevator until the last second turns around. Bam! Well, this looks a lot like the uh, in the the Hulk issue was, annual. We I was covered. thinking of that same thing, you know, yeah, that, with the Sentinels with his back to you. Uh, that and the, it looks almost the same thing. Of course, why didn't Storm just zap this guy instead of yeah, uh, or sneak in more quietly? Um, you think the Sentinels like whistling, and that covers up their footsteps? Uh, I, I mean, I think he was aware of that they were in the building the whole time. He was just, you know, waiting for you know something to let them know they were, you know, right there. And Wolverine flying to him, you know, you can see his head starts to twitch. And uh, the synopsis said it was a laser blast. That's not a laser. A later laser would be a thin line, right? So that that's just got to be like pure fire heat something but it's got to be hotter hotter than normal well yeah it could be a force blast it's just almost like it's a like repulsor. what they, they use to to kill franklin yeah yeah that's previous to go-to. but he, he when the sentinel says you know pathetic organic being he he almost implies that they knew uh they were coming up in the elevator because he said yeah. you know do you think you could and maybe the, maybe there are different levels of sentinel uh, capabilities like this is a smarter sentinel than the guy downstairs this is, this is the omega uh, series and uh you know the omega series apparently in a low number so it's as he says one of the executive cadre yeah so uh i mean that's supposed to be you know the high level in the the cast system of whatever they have there he's not middle management so, sentinel he's uh, yeah <laughs> but like uh the one that um was in you know out front that that had to be you know some, one of the lower level guys probably a Trask Sentinel wasn't it the Trask Sentinels that were like crappy? Uh, How do you mean crappy? Well, there was a, a lot. I mean, the, the whole point of Days of Future Past was that Byrne wanted to show Claremont and everyone else that Sentinels could actually be uh, a a decent Real villain, threat. you know, that kicks some butt. Because Claremont never didn't want to write Sentinel stories because he just thought Sentinels were weak. And like the ones that were in the 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 story that he did around X-Men 100, you know, those were weak. Those were easily defeated. You know, they weren't, you know, like tough, like the ones back when they did the um, the Neil Adams, uh, Roy Thomas. Yeah, do or die, baby. Yeah. Those were a real threat. And I'm seeing a parallel between that story and this story. Oh yeah. As far as the last three X Men invading the uh, the Sentinels uh, stronghold, mm-hmm. same same structure except they fail this time. Well, yeah, I, I can see as a, as a writer, not maybe not want to deal with Sentinels because unless you give them a personality, they're they're kind of one note. What can you do with them? They yeah. can't they can't tune a scenery. They can't monologue. They can't uh, they can't do all the things that like Magneto does. So I could see maybe what's why he doesn't want them. It's like uh, Doctor Who, uh, Cybermen. Exactly. Yeah, and and I mean, and you see, you know, he he used the Sentinels so sparingly during the rest of his run here that that I read, uh, whether it was in X Men and they had um, that uh, bizarre storyline where Storm and the White Queen's minds got swapped, and then there was um, in the New Mutants, one of the very first issues, they took on a blue and gray Sentinel in a shopping mall. But um, going back to the image, of course, when Wolverine is getting scragged and you hear that, you know, he yells out that yarg, 
But you look at that at the body, you can see just the, the flesh is being burned away from the skeleton, and there's no doubt that he's that, that his you know skin, his organs, everything has been virtually vaporized, so that when the body clanks to the ground, you can hear just the metal. Like like someone dropping a shopping cart or, or see, something. and I wish I wish it. there was a clank there on the next page when it drops in front of yeah. Storm and Colossus, but we just get it's laying on the ground and it's I, you know smoldering. I heard yeah. it in my head when I read this. I mean, I just I I saw that and I heard it in my head, and I was just like, "Holy cow!" He'll be back. <laughs> well, I think I think he's recovered from worse. I think he's been almost <laughs> yeah instrumented from that way and. But that That's was magically that. assisted, apparently. Hey, no, did you brain, guys? Uh, do you think that Burn got? It. Do you think Burn got that pose for Wolverine's skeleton from Uncle Owen? <laughs> what? <laughs> <In Peru. laughs> oh man, that's messed up. I didn't. Even I don't think get that. that. In Star Wars, when when Luke goes back to see what happened with uh, Owen and Baru, you see their skeletons laying on the ground, still smoldering from the whatever happened. Now, if you watch the. Uh, on YouTube, uh, Troops, a Star Wars parody. It is like cops, except it's stormtroopers. And you see what really happened with Owen and Baru. You should watch that. That's pretty funny. It's on YouTube. Yeah, it's hilarious. I thought this was more taken from a Terminator in terms of but the... Terminator just... hasn't, but Terminator that hasn't happened yet. yet. Yeah. No. Well, it's a time travel story. Come yeah, on. but this came out in 1980. Terminator came out in 1984. Unless the Terminator went back in time and has appeared to, to, to uh, burn. I mean, think about that. You will draw me in your comic. Or I will replace you. Or more, more likely Cameron read this book and thought, hmm. Yeah. I could do something you, like that. You be your pencils, your ink, and your paper. <laughs> now, Byrne had said that, you know, he, he did, definitely had influences. He says, my plot for Days of Future Past, which was Chris's title, was heavily influenced consciously by the Quartermass Conclusion, the British TV series, the novelization of which I just read at that time, and unconsciously by The Day of the Daleks, Doctor Who serial I had seen some four years earlier. Excuse me, that's Daleks. Daleks, excuse me, I don't watch Doctor (laughs) Who. But he says, uh, neither of which Chris was familiar with at the time these issues were created. Surrender your geek card now. Yeah, no, I, I no, I'm holding I on to my key card. I just saw what John put in the chat: <laughs> Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru action figures that are just charred skeletons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's just wrong. <laughs> that's we like the, put that on the Facebook page when we uh, post the episode. That's like the Peter Parker from <laughs> Infinity War action figure, and it's just dust. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> somehow so much worse guys we are on like the harshest (laughs) pages of this story and serious yeah well i'm not gonna say be serious but let's let's get back to this because i mean uh, you know obviously so okay so i'll i'll pick up so once again we have storm zapping another sentinel which we've already said contradicts the first book right first battle yep Saying that they can't, they're insulated, but she does it again. Oh, she's and then pissed. We, well, rightfully so. And then Colossus like trips one, basically, mm-hmm. and she tells Aurora to freeze him, which that to me makes more sense than trying to electrocute one, would just freeze him. 
and then you could just punch them and bust them up. Um, but obviously it's not meant to be, um, as much as, as, uh, Colossus says, you know, they faced worse odds and the Sentinels telling them, you know, it doesn't matter if you kill one or a thousand makes no difference. Our numbers are too great. Um, and we get the next page where, well, hold on before you get off that page. Look at that Sentinel there behind storm. He's actually doing something with his arm, getting ready to shoot that, um, whatever it is. It looks like it's wood based on the coloring of it. And it actually kind of vibrates mm-hmm. after it's speared her from behind. It's yellow in my drawing. So I, I, yeah, would, yellow, I yeah. assume it was just like a piece of metal, you know, just a, like a Sentinel toothpick. That's right. <laughs> Maybe he threw it. Maybe he didn't actually shoot it out of his finger. And was Colossus ever been able to cry in his armored form? I didn't think he could. In fact, I think he's, he even said that somewhere. Were I able to oh, weep? I thought I'd seen him. Hmm. But then he knocks that sentinel out the window with the huge boom. And that, of course, the sentinel is also in the same pose that Colossus was a few pages yeah. earlier when he got hit by the cannon. Right. I, I wonder, was these, the, the sentinels that were coming through the door, they had to raise that door because this, this building was originally designed for humans. <laughs> Did they have to go yeah. through and retrofit all the doors? <laughs> Why didn't they make it tall enough for them? <laughs> sentinel well, they, cap accessible. That's right. Well, they well, want to make themselves feel a little more powerful. Like, look, I have to bend down to go through the door yeah it looks like he's stooping down but remember the um, not all of the sentinels are three stories tall true that's the, right that's the right. guardian at the baxter building he was just barely taller than the door so you know he was like yeah. maybe nine feet tall so they have different sizes apparently but these are the omega cadre these are the, the biggest the baddest the meanest the toughest b102 you're not quite small enough to fit in the front door you go guard the front door of the <laughs> the, the baxter building omega class you'll barely fit through the door so we'll put you up on the 35th floor does it feel weird that you know we see wolverine's death we see storm's death but we don't actually see colossus's death we just hear he's dead Very I mean, there, powerful. there's a, there's the yeah. morbid curiosity of that's dramatic how did they do it i think that's dramatic to make it really more impactful and sad yeah. Just sad. But, you know, it could could be an artistic decision, too, you know, in terms of like, we've already seen enough death. Yeah. And you're led to believe, at least I was reading it, that Colossus, after punching one out of the building, which I don't know how many of those he'd have in him, um, you know, he gives a valiant fight and he's killed. Well, well, Rachel says he's dead so quickly that, that, and I think because you don't see that, this shows how ineffectual ineffectual they yeah. are because they are being he's just being swarmed uh, by these sentinels. And then, and she raises a point which I thought would be really interesting, where she says, "If if Kate's body dies here, will she or might be trapped in the past? If so, I wish her a happier life than the one she lived here. What if that had happened? What if the adult Kate had stayed in the teenage Kate's body?" I thought that you could really do some explore a lot of stuff because one, you've got her knowing some of the future and whether that future is going to, you know, you know, happen or not. She's got her relationship with Colossus because in her mind, we're married, you know, we're a couple. And he's like, no, you're this 13 year old kid. Um, And you could do that tastefully without being creepy. And I think you could, you know, maybe eventually her body snaps back and she becomes, uh, young kitty again or maybe she never does maybe she grows it would make her a more effective fighter for one because she's got all the experience in a younger body and i thought they could have done something like that and that could have really opened some doors that gets so so kludgy though with 
time travel stuff, right? You know, how do you explain that? So would it be that she died in the future, but then they prevent the future? So does she really die in the future? Well, she's, well, yeah, I mean, she's trapped in a, a time that may not be her own time. Ooh. Basically what happens with Rachel. Kind of, yeah. They kind of do that. Yeah, it's true. They do that with Rachel when they bring her back, uh, which I don't think that's from this timeline because she looks totally different. Because when they bring in Ahab from the Days of Future Present, she was, you know, she was a hound. She's obviously didn't seem like she's a hound here. Uh, and I think they explain that because she goes back in time, that's how she can access the the Phoenix powers. She's obviously not doing it here. No. Yeah, I never no. liked when they brought her back. I thought that was. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't much care for it, though. Though there were some interesting aspects to it. Yeah. Um, That's why so, that Rachel Summers is totally different than than I think than this Rachel character. I agree. Yeah, but now if you look at Kitty in that first panel on the next page, and she's sitting there hiding behind something, and I really like the. It's like a zipatone that they've used on on that table or whatever she's hiding behind. It's so bizarre. I, I don't know why. It's just it's supposed to be a marble, probably one of those yeah. uh, gray and or sorry, black and green marble tables. Yes, exactly, exactly. And Kelly standing up and standing up to her and just being, yep, I'm the tough politician. I'm not going to cow to you guys. And she she should have just killed him, but no, no, she had to, had the monologue. <laughs> and so Kate, using all of her skill and powers, is able to phase through her. And make her arm solid at the same time, so she can deflect uh, her aim. I do like Destiny's cry out here that you know the temporal anomaly part of me consuming me, you know, as if all of this exchange in time now, when she gets phased through by Kitty, is is really hurting her. Hmm. Well, it shows maybe she's not just a precog. She can't. Maybe mm-hmm. she's somehow connected to. Right. Uh, to time or something. So that time when, stream. But right. you know the, the the idea that this 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 Kate, you know, that's coming through her is the she is a time disruption. Everything about her is just completely subverting what Destiny's power should be showing her. And mm-hmm. this moment right there, everything about it is just exploding on her. It's right. you know, so that you know she is knocked out um, on the next panel. And so she's able to be arrested. But, um, yeah, you know, I mean, they didn't really think this through. They could have just blown up the building and killed the guy, you know? <laughs> that's, that's like any story, though, you know? Yeah, I know, I know. But, um, yeah, so, you know, then, of course, is the moment of the impulsive kiss. I'll just leave it at that. I'm going to shut up now. You know, I'm really surprised. It's so graphic, uh, graphically Mm. depicted here. Yes. uh, Really crosses the line of of good taste. It never bothered me. They were drawing it today, they would show it. (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, if this is such a a big deal breaker that just shattered the relationship between Byrne and Claremont and made him decide to leave. No, that had already happened. You know, real. So it's it's all of four five, it. yeah, you know, the, six um, six words. It, I went right over it as a kid. It's like it didn't occur to me that it was altering the future or or changing anything. It was like okay, end of the story. It yeah, didn't bother me. 
that's exactly how I read it too. Even the first time reading it, it was it was more of the you're giving the innocent you a kiss, you know, as in terms of like goodbye. Good luck. She doesn't, yeah, she doesn't know what she's going back to, if she's even going to exist, what's going to happen to her, and she sees right her happier, younger self. Right. You know, for a second. And it's like, you yeah. know, kind of like that bless you child kind of thing. Like, yeah, I'm so happy for you. Yeah. Envious of, of, yeah, that'd be good. Um, I don't know. I don't know why they had to rub their breasts together. That seems excessive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that what that is? I couldn't quite make that out. Yeah. It's um, if you blow it up in the digital copy, it's there. No, no, no. Wow. Anyway. <laughs> Wow. The next the next page is really for the most part unremarkable. Yeah. I mean, Kitty waking up and she's feeling awful, and <laughs> Xavier and Moira coming into the room and they're also feeling awful, and you know, yeah. Storm telling the X Men they got to get away. But the bottom panel, they're all on the jet, you know, flying back to Warren's jet, and there's Wolverine laying on a couch, just you know, arms spread back. He's just like cold chilling. Mm -hmm. For some reason, I like that. Getting that, that hair all over the couch. <laughs> yeah. The and then, of course, it's Warren asking, you know, does this mean we change the future? And Xavier says only time will tell. But obviously they did for this team of X-Men, for this this reality. The future has been changed, so it will not be that reality, whatever it is, regardless of what's on the next page where they're talking about with uh, Shaw and Kelly and Guyrich about Project Wide Awake. That well, um, right, the they, they've changed the they've changed the timeline, but it, they don't know the results could be the same. It could happen sooner. It could happen later. You don't know when, you know, because that's what implies that the that uh, Shaw is, you know, meeting with Guy Rich and uh, and who's the guy and is that supposed to be the president that's in Shadow he, there? Yeah, I think it's supposed I to be Carter so. or, or well, no, I mean, yeah, Reagan, it, it? it is supposed to be Carter, but they don't put in the i mean the previous times that we've seen carter in x-men and avengers he's always spoke with that country accent you know i you know i wonder where you know he, he would say things like jimmy carter would say it um but they don't do that here right for the statements that this when this guy's talking so again it's 1980 to 81 so you could almost think it'd be ronald reagan but uh, the book was actually drawn a few months before then like four mm -hmm. months before. So you don't know who's going to win the election. So uh, you just have to assume that it was maybe a different president. So well, we'd assume that from this point on, all Sentinels are come from Shaw, not yeah. Trask. They yeah. come from Shaw Industries. And, and the thing is, this right here goes right into X-Men Elswin. Uh, I mean, if you've been reading X-Men Elswin, you know that... So that those are all Shaw mutants or Shaw Sentinels. All, well, not all of them. You know, if you remember, you know, the Shaw Sentinels That's got true, involved, but they brought right. out Master Mold. And when they brought out Master Mold, Master Mold enabled all of the Lang Sentinels that were in the silo out in the mountain. Mm -hmm. And that's where all those tons of Sentinels came from, though they were much easier for the, you know, X-Men to defeat than um, the ones that Shaw had put together because they were much tougher and had those force fields. They were adaptive, the newer ones. Hmm. hmm. Ooh. Indeed, sir. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, I mean, I, I, this is one story that you know, it, 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 it's so powerful for being as short as it is, and there's so much of it that's far-reaching. And 
we're going to do, you know, more episodes where we're going to talk about other things that, that deal with that. And we'll probably have uh, some nice interviews with other people that have got things to say about this. Um, but you guys, what, what, you know, in the end, when you walk away from this story, the first time you read it, how did you, how did you feel? I mean, it was gut punch, but at the same time, the ending was a little hopeful. What, what did you guys think? It's uh, written on a level that I don't think most X-Men stories are. I thought it was wonderfully layered. I love the art and I thought it was terrific. I couldn't wait to see how this story continued and it doesn't. <laughs> Not until Rachel Summers comes back and we start seeing glimpses of that future uh, mm -hmm. where they, they used her as a hound where she as a mutant was hunting other mutants. So the, you think uh, that's, that's the evolution of the character? that Rachel now becomes a hound or she was a hound prior to this? I don't know. I, I really don't. I, I, I just remember, you know, those scenes. And then there was also a scene where Xavier gets killed. Yes. Um, and I yes. think it was from New Mutants. I think that yes. was Kevich that did that. It was uh, powerful. Uh, yeah. I really liked that. And I didn't like course, the action, but the artwork and the dramatic introduction of Rachel, I thought was fantastic. I guessed who she was, but I didn't particularly care uh, where it went. Yeah, and then there's the Uber Sentinel Nimrod. Yeah, that oh, also that was came dreadful. born from all this. And then as you go further down the road, you get guys like Bishop and. Well, I always felt that others. that bringing Rachel in was a way to bring back Phoenix without bringing back Jean Grey. Phoenix without right. bringing back Phoenix. Yeah. So that that maybe that was my reaction to it, but. But yeah, because um, well, my thought is, is that um, they really did change the future, but it changed it into the new future that Rachel came back from. <clears throat> so what happened was that um, the future that changed just kind of morphed in and still became what it was based on the final page with Shaw and Gyrick, you know, and um and maybe Rachel wasn't originally intended to be um, the daughter of Jean Grey, but later they they could kind of switch that. And then eventually, uh, you know, uh, X Factor came out a year after. Ra I mean, because I was looking, I was like, when did Rachel come back? And um, the earliest that I can find is in 1985, but X Factor came out in 1986. Mm -hmm. So who knows how long they had been if they had connected Jean Grey at that point, but at least it made sense once Jean Grey was brought back. Yeah. I just, uh, maybe, you know, maybe. The, the execution of all that, you know, really hurt a lot of things. I mean, it, you know, from them changing Burns' version of Jean coming back and putting in, was it Jackson Geist that did the, uh, did the pages or was it Carrie Gamble? I forget. One of them did, and they did a really good version of Burn, but they, Claremont came in and scripted those pages so Byrne wouldn't even allow himself to be credited in the book. He was just credited as you know who. Yeah. But um again, you know, I, I think sometimes I defend Byrne a little too much. You know, Claremont is a good writer, uh, and you know, he 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 just seems to to gravitate cert towards certain themes a little too much for my taste. Um I liked his, you know, the the stuff he did in you know Marvel team up. And Iron Fist and X Men up to a point, and then I just kind of lost interest. Well, to get back to your question, um, yeah. these two issues they're very dense. 
Mm-hmm. And so I, I think you, as we've pointed out through both shows, you're not going to pick up on everything the first couple, the first time you read them, probably the first couple times you read, you read them. Cause I, I don't, I've lost track of how many times I've read these two particular issues and you always find something new or some little detail that you missed. Yeah. Uh, like Tim talking about, uh, he didn't realize that, you know, it does show storm on the cover, you know, speared. Uh, yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. So if you haven't read these before, you know, please read them, you know, on Marvel Unlimited and one, or in one of the collections, but just know that they're meaty. <laughs> and this is not a comic you're going to, you're going to whiz through in five minutes I and mean, you can, but you're going to miss a lot. Hey, I'm sorry. These are valuable comics. I'm not whizzing through any of them. <laughs> they don't go on the bathroom. Sorry. That's what, uh, that's what essentials are for. <laughs> Are those your, yours, John? No, I wish. Yeah. So, John, what about you? I mean, you again, you and I had the, the, the experience of buying these off the rack, you know, back in the day. I know Kirk did as well. But, you know, us as teenagers then, what did, you know, how did this second one hit you, especially with those harsh moments? You know, I thought it was... I thought it was really uh, powerful t- starting telly. I mean, to me, it really was very different from a lot of other comics at the time. I thought the the level of storytelling and the artwork was really heads and shoulders above a lot of other stuff that was coming out. You know, and I was reading both DC and Marvel, and this, you know, really I thought blew away a lot of other stuff i mean not not i'm not saying the other stuff was bad i was just saying it was so different and so uh interesting it was just an interesting take and uh, high concept yeah you know and i i just you know I, I didn't think of it then as like oh this is mature reading but i thought wow this really stepped it up to a really interesting storytelling concept that was way more than just uh Hulk shows up, Hulk smash, convenient villain, and then it's over. You know, it, it really was a well-told story, and there was a lot of different concepts. And, you know, and the character moments, and then the whole thing, you know, that one page where Storm, Colossus, and Wolverine, or where Storm and Colossus die, and Rachel there, you know, I'm glad they showed Colossus' death, or uh, they did his death off-panel, because it really makes it more impactful to have his death shared with the reader through Rachel and just you, you you get a sense from her that she's losing hope now Um, right she has a glimmer of it but it's like everyone is dying around her from Franklin to a thing and she's probably already seen that Magneto's gone because and that's something we never even heard you know Um, but you know she would be in touch with him mentally and He's probably gone. They probably wiped everyone out, realizing they escaped. Does Rachel ever mention what happened with Kate? I mean, no. she comes back herself. No. Yeah. She just says there was no point. I couldn't tell if she was alive or dead. And so I did the only thing I could. I escaped for myself. So it, mm-hmm. it's kind of. Yeah, I always got the impression by the front cover that says everybody dies that. Uh... When everybody died, <laughs> when we're right, when 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 um, Kate jumps back to her body and she suddenly she's going to be here in Rachel's arms, that they're just hiding out from the Sentinels. There's a Sentinel right there. I think they die too. I think they may have. They obviously didn't stop the Sentinels. I don't think she's hoping that they stopped 
uh, well, the, the settlers were getting ready to leave the United States and attack other nations. So they were going to be nuked. So more than likely, you'd think, okay, the only way that anybody's going to be able to survive is to to find some way of porting out or, as, as Rachel does, you know, escape through time. Yeah. Kitty's not going to be able to, Kate's not going to be able to do that. So, you know, she just ceased but to it, be. But in that timeline, Ahab and some of his other goons uh, escaped too. So they haven't been, that, that, that North America hasn't been nuked by the rest of the world because... Uh, so I think to the point with this, the Rachel we're looking at in this story is not the same Rachel that comes back. Uh, that is the Hound. I think they're two different people from two different The, que- the question I want answered, and I know we've gone really long, and this is the, always the troublesome part with a shared universe. Uh, like we, when we talked about the FF coming into the Marvel MCU, right. where the hell has everybody else been while this has been going on? You, you, you're telling me that the other superheroes across the world or the globe just sat back and let it happen? Uh, study your World War II history. There's I know. Some... I, well, remember, we're, we're talking about a fictional universe. Right. right? Well, you the know, FF so... are in the grave. We've seen that. But you're talking about Canada and you're talking about uh, yep. Alpha Flight and, sure. and whatever the UFOs were and the Russian counterparts and, and all yep. the rest. Yeah. Well, there's Captain only Captain so much Britain you can write his, into a story. Is uh, what's what? Uh, Excalibur, right? Yeah, is that their group name. Um, I cannot believe that they would just sit back and let all this murder and destruction and genocide happen, and not step in. So there, there there's plot holes. Right. I think we we mentioned before that Doom himself would step in and say, "No, if anybody's going to take over right. the world, it's going to be me." And <laughs> but he Doom went... got he got wiped out. <laughs> As a doom bot? No, yeah, he wiped out a doom bot. They didn't wipe out doom. He's he's probably no, no. Him. This is a burn story. That was a doom bot. <laughs> it's always a doom bot. But yeah, especially so if Claremont does anything with doom, then it's a doom bot for sure, and not a very good one. <laughs> All right, shall we wrap it up, guys? I think yeah. we need to. Yeah, I think we've kind of covered it. <laughs> for uh, David right. unleashes the goat. Yeah, and we, we've gone over so much at this point that I think we will uh, forego the emails this time. We'll actually probably pick them up on the next uh, Cocktails and Comics uh, and, and, and try to get through through those. So, uh, you know, Rick and, and Jay and all those out there that are writing us, you know, don't worry. We haven't forgotten you. Uh, definitely haven't forgotten you. We appreciate the uh, the feedback. But if you want to get a hold of us, if you want to tell us what you're thinking – so many ways you can do it. You can let us know on the Facebook page for Third Degree Burn, or you can email us at gottagetburned at gmail.com, or you can leave us a review at Apple Podcasts, formerly iTunes. Um, hopefully, here in the near future, you'll be able to leave feedback for us on our website at twotruefreaks.com, but our website is going undergoing renovation right now. We've still got ladders and scaffolding and all that stuff standing up, and we have to walk very carefully through the halls. So uh, please, you know, write to us. Tell us what you think, what you would like, what you don't like, what you know, what you want to know, because, you know, we're trying to get all the answers. That's us, the answer guys. That was kind of arrogant, wasn't it? No. Nah. <laughs> shut up now. A little bit. All right. Well, Tim, you want to take us out? Yeah, uh, I want to thank everybody for, if you've stayed with us this long, for da- for downloading and listening. Uh, if you're listening to this first, go back and listen to our first part, or this won't make sense. 
Uh, and I want to thank the guys for joining me on a Sunday morning. It's always fun to get on and talk comics. And I look forward to our next show, which I think we may kind of cover this. We're going to, I think we're going to revisit Elswin, uh universe sometime soon because Burns has been pumping mm-hmm. some stuff out. Uh, and after that, I don't know. We keep it loose. We don't know what we're going to cover. But So uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. And for Third Degree Burn, I am Tim Elliott. I'm Brian Hughes. I'm John Hyde. I'm Kirk Greenfield. I'm David Thompson. There we go. We didn't <laughs> select you're not. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Have a great week. Some things in life are bad. They can really make you mad. Other things just make you swear and curse. When you're chewing on life's gristle, that grumble, give a whistle. And this'll help things turn out for the best And Always look on the bright side of life Always look on the light side of life If life seems jolly rotten There's something you've forgotten And that's to laugh and smile and dance and sing when you're feeling in the dumps, don't be silly chumps. Just purse your lips and whistle, that's the thing. Ain't always look on the bright side of life. Come on! Always look on the bright side of life. For life is quite absurd, and death's the final word. You must always face the curtain with a bow Forget about your seat, give the audience a grin Enjoy it, it's your last chance anyhow So always look on the bright side of death Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn.